Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Treks Edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. I thought maybe if I just changed up the emphasis on, and like my pitch, that people would find this different enough from the other Star Trek episodes to get really excited. To, ha- to hang in there, right? Yeah. Hey, everybody, it's a Star Trek's Edition. How about a nice round number? Hey, it's week 40. We're here with week 40 of our unnamed Star Trek comparison series it's week 40 so you can pour out a 40 for all the red shirts out there that's right at home <clears throat> listening all right anyway it's been a while since we did this we had to miss last week's uh regularly scheduled pod because i had some um some self-invited house guests that uh, yeah uh, messed up my schedule and um Messed up the most important project on the internet, and I'm mad about it, so... Uh, and I realize that we're talking about, like, it's only been an extra four or five days compared to when we would normally do this. I don't remember anything. I don't remember any of the episodes. <laughs> I have the episode descriptions up from the Wikipedia. I'm just gonna yeah. figure it out as I Thank go. God I have notes. It's really, um... It's unbelievable how much pressure I feel once we're on the clock, and then how quickly I forget the episodes after I'm done. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what's number one this week? What are we doing? Uh, so fifth place last week was Voyager, and that means that this week we watched Resolutions. I remembered this one from the thumbnail and was upset that I had to watch it. I did not know that this anything about this. I know this, this is, is not uh, this, this has not been in Star Trek Online, so. I don't know shit about it. Well beyond the point that you stopped watching Voyager first run. No, very far. We're more than twice as many episodes in as when I stopped watching. Yeah. Uh, Janeway and Chakotay both apparently off-screen contracted a deadly virus from some dang old alien insect. And uh, they're forced to remain on the planet where they contracted it. Because the Doctor did all the Band-Aid plot stuff where he, he explained to the viewer at home all of the things... Well, no, he didn't. He just said that he tried all the things. Yeah, that he, he tried everything there was. This is his deal, right? This is just like uh, this is how last week when he was like, "We've look, we've thought of everything. This is definitely not. This is we're definitely going to get <laughs> yeah. our two boys back out of this one boy." That's right. We've don't we've worry got about it. All the possibilities and nothing could possibly go. It's wrong. It's definitely so you can, safe. You can concentrate on the moral dilemmas. Yeah, this is the opposite of that. Yeah, he said, I tried everything. If you try to mention a thing, don't worry, I already thought of it. It's not working. We can't even just keep you in stasis. We gotta leave you on this planet, and we have to fly far away from you. All the way home, and you gotta stay on this planet forever. Uh, or unless you, Janeway, can take your science gear down to your little camping trip. Yep. 
and uh, and find a cure for this. And if you're so smart, you fucking cure it. Yeah, you cure it. We're leaving because we got we got to fly in circles for a little bit longer. Not here. explained why Janeway and Chakotay were down on that planet together in nope. the first place. It doesn't seem like her policy to leave the ship generally. No, that was not part of the backstory in any way. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I guess they had some ideas like maybe they would run into the Vidians as they always do. And be like, hey, you guys are good with the medical tech. Why don't you um, why don't you help us out with this thing? Why don't you not be desperate villains? <laughs> Can you just stop for one second? I see you eyeing my kidneys right now. Don't take them yet. Just I know, l- listen I know to you us. want all of our organs, and also you're fighting a losing battle with a virus that's going to wipe out your entire population. But do you guys have like 10 minutes? Because you got good medical tech and we got two sick people. Hear me out. And all, hold on. Some of your skin fell off. It's right there. No, it's under the chair. It's <laughs> do you want under, me to pick that up for you? The gonna, okay, so there's... Why are you looking at my skin? My skin's staying on me, though, because I got, I got a, we just got a quick issue we got to talk to you about. Don't steal my face like that guy. <laughs> anyway, but she has uh, forbidden the rest of the crew from contacting the Vidians for the obvious risks. Uh, well, you didn't mention this because why would you? But in that early wrap-up where the doctor's just jumping in and being like, hey, we did everything we could, we can't cure this virus. The other thing is, but... For whatever reason, as long as you're on this planet, you're not going to ever get sick mm-hmm. because of it. He explained all the Band-Aids at once. So it's harmless while you're here, but if you beam up, woo! Again, woo. You, you guys are going to have a nice, fun, extended camping trip. Maybe a chance for some romance. I don't want to plant anything in your heads. But uh, you'll be just fine where you are. You just can't come with us. Uh, so anyway, there's uh, some really low-stakes, uh, tearful goodbyes between her and the crew. Because it is very obvious that... Beltran and Mulgrew uh, are not going off the show. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's super. We're obvious. not. We're not. Do, we're not going to do a whole new show here. Not Tuvox the captain. <laughs> I mean, it would be cool. Maybe in this day and age, you could do like a ten episode arc where we they are really, stuck on this planet. We really loved that pilot movie, Star Control. Not enough to make this series, but the idea of a bunch of lower ranking officers running this ship in a desperate situation with no command presence. It's very tempting to us. So, I love um, that that made so little impression on you that you called it Star Control. What's it called? Star Command. Star Command. Okay. <laughs> Star Control sounds fine. For real, it's on YouTube. I tried to watch it. It's tough. A year ago or something. I got maybe 10 minutes in. It's a tough And I was one. like, first of all, this is this looks like it was a PTEN joint, mm-hmm. but like the was one they not? didn't spend money on. I mean, was it not a PTEN joint? Because in my head, I've always just assumed it was a PTEN. It had that. It had that shit of real cheap productions where you can hear the soundstage, and you're like, "Did they not? You can did hear, they not even clean it up?" You can hear Riker just padding around up there. Yeah, and you're just <laughs> like going down the road. What? Come on, guys. Anyway, yeah. the difference is uh, Tuvok is like a hundred or something, so it's he's not. I don't know. He how is he's like hundred, but he is—he is only a full lieutenant. Are we going to explore this in the future? Because I don't want to. I don't want to get into his backstory. But why is he a hundred and only a lieutenant? What's I don't know. Maybe like a Vulcan timeline. He didn't join Starfleet when he was seventeen. Maybe he was an. Artist. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe he he's one of these fifty-year-old ensigns that we always see, except. Even then, he'd still have another 50 years. <laughs> so saying, did he join like eight years ago? What's happening I don't know. here? It's not clear how old Tuvok is. He's at least 100. Okay. All right. Uh, anyway, so they're going to spend the rest of their lives there uh, alone on that planet. Oh, he's not good at his job. 
No. So. I mean, we've seen he's not. Yeah. Uh, and he's also sort of like a low-key a traitor. But but this is post-Wolf 359. You have to imagine that there were a lot of promotions. Oh. A lot of people post-Wolf 35. Like 10,000 people got wiped out. And yeah. Starfleet doesn't seem that big. You'd have to imagine. Plus, they went into uh, prep mode for the Borg after that. So. Uh, right, exactly. So you'd, you'd, you'd have to think that Lieutenant Junior Grade Tuvok or something probably get bumped all the way up to Lieutenant Commander or something post-Wolf 359, And right? somebody said, hey, are you sure you want to promote this guy? He's been in the service 76 years, and he's only a Lieutenant Junior Grade. He's been a, an instructor at the Academy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to have learned anything from that. No. Anyway, he's who we're stuck with as captain because I guess... I guess Janeway hasn't put a lot of thought into the command structure of the ship, because it doesn't seem like Tuvok's a good choice. No. Um, let's, let's actually take it one at a time. I'm going to talk about what's on the planet first. Okay. All right. Janeway and Chakotay, they like got, they got some shelter, and they got some equipment, some science equipment. I think they got replicators and shit. Like, they're living pretty easy. They got one of them nice camping sites with bathrooms Yeah, they're glamping. That. Yes, exactly. They are glamping. And, um... But still, Chakotay wants to like hang out and like make make some tribal art, and um, and like really settle in, make some headboards, and yeah. he keeps maybe nudging her in the direction of giving up the science search because he's really enjoying the camping. He's yeah, embraced it. It's like there's a scene where he's like, "Look, we've been here seven days, and you've worked twelve hours a day on this thing, and the doctor worked on it for weeks, and what he does it." Well, he doesn't say the sensible thing, which is, like, this is not sustainable. Yeah. Can Like, maybe just work eight hours a day and spend the rest of your time trying to figure out how to live here. Instead, he's like, eh, let, just get used to the idea that you're not going to fix this thing. <laughs> yeah, we After look. all, our computer program couldn't figure it out in 17 days, so. Yeah. Also, I don't know if Doctor, when he was giving his Band-Aids at the beginning, did he explain why the time was up? Why they, why they had to give up? He 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 brought him out of stat, out of uh, stasis once he had exhausted all of his options. So he's just given up. He's done. Yeah, right. I think probably he had a conversation with Tuvok, and he's like, "I'm out of things to do that wouldn't take six months." Mm. You so know what I mean? It's either we're going to hang out on this planet forever, or we got to right. move on. Okay, or, it's, or we might as well move on now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but she's like, "Nah, I ain't giving up, bro. I, I'm. You heard me. I talk about Kent State. I'm the science queen." Uh, in this quadrant. So I'm going to figure this thing out. But guess what, bro? She meets a monkey and a big storm comes and all of her research breaks. Yeah. She got broken research now. And uh, so she's like, all right, I guess I'll... I guess I'll have to give in because I don't think I'm going to be able to figure this whole thing out. And then her and Jacoche start to get the romance feelings yeah. because no one else is around. Yep, he, uh, she says she wishes she had a bathtub, so Chakotay goes out and makes her a bathtub. A sexy bathtub. Out of wood, but I guess he did a good job, it doesn't seem to leak. He finished the shit out of it too, she's not like getting all splintery. I know, he really did, like. Worked it good. (laughs) I know he's got a phase, I mean he's got a replicator, so he can probably just be like, orbital sander, and it's like, here's an orbital sander or whatever. Yeah. Apparently, you can't do that for the scientific equipment, though. No, hers is broken. Hers research is broken. It's not clear. Most of the replicator's broken, but they don't seem that panicked about, like, eating. Also, it's never clear to me in any episode what the replicator can and can't replicate, so... Um, Now, the only time you ever hear about that is when uh, they they need a reason for something to be valuable. Yes. Or 
why they have to make a trade deal with Kivas Vajo. Because we can't even replicate it. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Um, anyway, and then she, he tells her a, a fucking an ancient story of his people about a, about a warrior who had the hots for a stern captain lady and they didn't make a baby because they were in the wrong quadrant and she had a live-in boyfriend and <laughs> and then she caught on that it wasn't a real story yeah that it was a story he made up about her right now would have been great if she'd said ah, i get what you're doing your stories are all such bullshit that i don't usually pay very much attention <laughs> but, so it took me a while but, but this yeah, one I just kept it. going and i caught on halfway through yeah um, and then she's like, oh, but I'm not like that with you. But then they like touched hands. Actually, the best thing would have been if she'd said to him, what kind of Indian are you? <laughs> <laughs> None of this makes sense. They, uh, they touch hands or something. And then it seems like maybe they're, maybe they're going to get down. Maybe they do get down. I don't even know. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't care. Meanwhile, uh, Tufok's not good at anything. And the crew hates him. They just hate his guts. And they make it clear from the start. It's a real Galileo 7, where I, they're up his ass about not having feelings and how they want to do stuff because of their feelings. And he's like, first of all, I have specific orders not to do the thing you want me to do. Mm-hmm, which is what Spock was saying in the Galileo 7 as well. And like, second of all, rules. those orders make a lot of sense. You know, normally uh, we give... Voyager and DS9 and the others shit for copying TNG episodes, but this time they were just... Well, they went back to the source, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, all, the, all that they were missing was someone throwing huge styrofoam rocks <laughs> and enormous spears that appear, apparently don't weigh anything. Because Spock can just fucking whip those things around. Um, yeah, I think they're just missing Tuvix, honestly. I think they missed their buddy Tuvix. Oh, fuck me. Tuvix could have been in command. And they see this guy, and they're like, oh, what the fuck? Fucking Janeway. Had to um, split him up. Oh, don't, oh, don't worry, guys. We've still got Neelix to help us get through this. <laughs> That's right. We'll definitely make it home. Uh, and Kim, especially, is just real butthurt about the whole situation, because he misses his new mom. Not yeah, his clarinet mom, his science Kim mom. Kim is shitty. I thought about Kim for a minute what, during this, because... He's unusually bold in this episode. Oh, yeah, now, he's all over it. He is, like, third in command now, so yeah. it kind of makes sense. But also, he probably does have some uh, particular loyalty feelings to Janeway. She did let him go through that hole instead of get blown up. That's true. That's true. <laughs> this That's is Kim, fact. too. Yep. From Universe 2, where he was the only person allowed to live on her ship. Just him and the baby. Just him and that baby. Yeah. And the baby don't know shit about it, so it's really up to him to be loyal to her. That's true. Even yeah. though this is not her. He knows, it is, though. It was Janeway, too. But he, it's the same. He understands what's happening. He's got the special loyalty feelings to his science mom. And, That's right. Uh, so he's all over Tuvok, just uh, questioning him in front of the bridge crew and having uh, not-so-covert meetings with Belana and other c- crew members about... Yep what to do and how to contact the Vidians, because that's his big plan, is to contact the Vidians, which we have specifically been told Tuvok has been ordered not to do. Uh, anyway, they eventually, <clears throat> after Kim has been relieved of duty, um, they convince him by having Kess go in to talk to him, and she tells a very boring story about her dumb old dad. <laughs> yep. And, it immediately and then she says, the Tuvok. whole crew's on the bridge and I want to talk to you. Yeah, and Tuvok 
Puck's like, all right then, and he walks out, and yeah, they are waiting for him. At least the six people who've been in the episode so far. Are yeah, just... Scott Thompson's there. <laughs> yeah, rip off Scott Thompson. Bolana. <laughs> and they're all just standing on the bridge waiting, because so she set this up real good. And he walks out and he goes, uh, I, they, I was ordered not to do these things, but um, Kess told me that story about her dad. <laughs> and now we're going to go talk to the Vidians. But guess what, dude? The Vidians? They do people dirty. Yeah, all the they, time. At, the reason that you gave the episode Phage so many points yeah. is that the uh, the Vidians are a mirror of Voyager because they are doing whatever it takes to survive. Yes, they are like doing the things that, again, in that episode, Jamie realized, oh shit, I think we might have to end up doing a lot of this. Right. <laughs> this is how it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so they're gonna go check out the Vidians, and luckily they've got an in, their old buddy Dinara Pell. Yeah, she's very excited to talk to Schmollis and crew. Yep, she and, calls him Schmollis. Yeah, it's the return of Schmollis. And, uh, but yeah, the Vidia, it's all a trap that they've laid. They didn't tell her, but they, they lured in Voyager, and they're, they're shooting the shit out of him, but then she contacts Sch- Schmollis covertly, and is like, hey, if you lower your shields, I'll beam you the antidote that we have lying around because we also ran into these damn space insects and they were we got the cure so no worries there so Tuvok drops the shields immediately even though he's already been tricked once does not suspect another trick yep. uh, drops shields and they get the uh, dang old antidote and he flies back and uh, picks up Chakotay and Janeway who come back to the ship and have to pretend like they didn't touch hands but everyone knows they touched hands mm-hmm well, there are probably people who think, well, I know Chakotay banged four or five members of his last crew, yep. but Janeway seems pretty cold. Yeah, maybe she was able to avoid his... Because they don't know about her holodeck nonsense. They do know about his Indian charms, but maybe she was able yeah. to uh, yeah. withstand it. So that was a gross episode that was full of idiotic nonsense. What did you think it was about? I don't remember why I wrote this. In <laughs> command, as in life, flexibility is a virtue. Oh, Both okay. Tuvok's initial decision and Janeway's fascination with finding a cure have to be reevaluated when circumstances change. Hmm. It's not a science fiction take, but there's nothing wrong with it. Okay, what was that worth? Uh, I gave it five points. Okay, I also gave it five points. We were on sort of the same level. I actually thought it was kind of a play on the no-win scenario from the movies. Mm, in this case, the it's like... Maru. It's, in this case, it was like, when's the right time to accept that you can't win? Or, like, you gotta know when to fold them. Hey, we should stop pronouncing it the way they pronounce it in the movies, right? The Kobayashi Maru. The Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> yeah, they don't know how to pronounce it. That's not that. Japanese. No. <laughs> no, we're, no, that's the same pronunciation that you use for Ambojitsu, I believe. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Let's just assume that Japanese has undergone some vowel shifts in the last 250 years. It's been uh, westernized in all of the worst ways. Um, so I also yeah. don't know why I was tempted to pronounce it like Richard Nixon there. <laughs> Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> Suck it to me. Uh, yeah, so I had like, uh, you gotta know when to fold them. Um, it was like Janeway initially 
keeps like she refuses to quit, but then eventually has to give in. She realizes it's time to just give in and, and start touching Chakotay's body. But like Tuvok gives in at first and moves on, only later to be taught that he needs to keep on, keep it on, keep it on. Yeah, do whatever it takes. So they kind of they have uh, a reversey situation of the same thing. Oh, see, I thought they had the same situation, and you thought they were reversed. Yeah. See how we can watch the same garbage episode and come up with two different things? Uh, ben thinks this is more of a relationship story. I mean, it is half a relationship story. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, relationships change based on the circumstances you find yourself in. Uh, he says, obviously, Janeway and Chicote, though, even Schmellus and uh, Pell. Yeah. He thought it was only worth three. Okay. Uh, this is a distasteful episode in some ways, and I think... <laughs> That that could influence you to score lower, but so that's why it sounds crazy that after the description I said this was five points, but I actually think there's nothing wrong with the take of the yeah, episode. I agree. I think the problems are going to come in other sections, probably. Yeah. Probably. <clears throat> um, speaking of which, yeah. where are you on execution? Mm, I didn't mind that juxtaposition that I just talked about of Janeway fighting and then giving in versus Tuvok giving in and then fighting. Um, the whole setup of the show, as we discussed, felt extremely contrived. Yeah. But after that first two minutes is done, what are you going to do? I don't mind the hypothetical exercise of what would happen if you were marooned on a planet. Like, how long would it take you before you put down roots? Sure. Uh, I guess my main problem is that it instantly turned into romance. Like, well, before we get to that, does it bother you that it's handled better in the inner light? Because he uh, thinks he's like, Picard, and then has to apparently over time, some amount of time, have to give in and realize he's uh, Galen or whatever his name is. Right. Exactly. And all, but and also, he has to, um, you know, build that nursery. Yeah. To show his... that he is going to live this life. And stop thinking about Enterprise. Well, you know, that that was an award-winning episode, so... It's, uh, I watched it uh, in the last couple of years. It's uh, one of these episodes, I think most of the episodes that are really beloved in Next Generation are not as good as their hype. No. Uh, that's one of them. I've never been that into that episode. That's not that great an episode, um, but it's better, it did a better job of... This question. Showing you get accustomed to circumstances than this one did? No. The Picard's weird timeline takes place over years and years and years. Yes. Which I think allows them to, to do it in a more realistic way. Whereas this one, we'll talk about it in a minute, but this whole episode's like about four months long. Yeah. So. That, that's, yeah. That, yes, we will get into that. Uh, but it didn't take long for it to become very domestic on that planet. Like, I don't. I wasn't sure if we were supposed to think that's just how it happened because they were stuck on the planet together, or has maybe Chakotay always been carrying a torch because his story made it seem that way? Or like, right. are we going to have to deal with any of this in any way moving forward? And of course, there's no way to know, so it's hard to yeah, it's hard to assign points to this episode based on that. But we can speculate based on what we've seen previously, especially with Chakotay and relationships. Yeah. Um, my other issue, what what was it that convinced Tuvok to contact the Vidians? Kess sat it, down it's and totally s- unclear. started blabbing about her father. Like, as soon as she entered the room, she didn't even say hello. 
And by the way, she's not. She, we're not doing an allegory. No, she's not telling about a time when her father was stubborn and then later regretted that he had, or even a story about. You know, my father was an intelligent man, but he didn't take people's feelings into consideration, and that's why I'm no longer with him or so. Mm-hmm. No, she just, it's just, hey, I loved my dad. Yep. I kind of think of you like my new dad for reasons which are not explored so can and you, have not been thoroughly explained. Can you please come and talk to my friends? So I just really wish, as a, as a personal emotional favor to me, mm-hmm. because of the fact that I feel like you're my dad, even though maybe you don't feel that way. Uh, could you, could you just deal with this? <laughs> They're outside right now. It's like half a mutiny, and I think you should deal with it. Yeah. So was that what did it, or did he finally just say, "Oh, god damn it, fine," just so we can all shut the fuck up about this? We can contact he the might have just, It might have just been frustration. Uh, it's pretty unclear. Uh, and then he again also really quickly accepted that offer to beam over the the serum as a totally legit offer, despite already having been tricked one minute ago. Um. So he just dropped the shield. Anyway, I had issues with it. Um, I didn't mind the exercises, didn't like the execution. I gave it a four. Um, yeah, we're kind of on the same page here. I actually only gave it three points okay. uh, for execution. I thought they did a really poor job of showing the passage of time. Yeah. So there's like the two weeks at the beginning. Fine, we don't see those. Then apparently Voyager is in space flying away from the planet for six weeks. Yeah. And then after the fight with the Vidians, it takes them six more weeks to go back. And this it is could a question. Be any amount of time. They do no work. Chicote Ch- doesn't grow a beard. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Like the simplest thing they could have done. <laughs> it's true. They look identical. They like the, the planet living has done nothing to them. Right. Like. Janeway's blue civilian dress doesn't get dirty or tattered or anything. And fine, they've got a replicator, why would it? Mm-hmm. But, like, do something. Plant, have Chicote plant a tree and the tree's bigger. Yeah, I guess we do get her sadly looking at a vegetable that she planted. At, at the, the end. Only in the last scene when they're about, when they make contact with uh, Tuvok and he's yeah. 30 hours away by then. Yep. Yes, and by the way, this is something that I've brought up numerous times lately like what is the passage of time in star trek how does it work and apparently in this one they're just like and then six weeks passed (laughs) you're like okay yeah that's all supposed to work on theoretically something close to a year one season per year or whatever but i don't understand how the time works so i thought that was um it was a filmmaking error let's Mm -hmm. let's say that i don't feel like there's much evidence in the past two seasons for chakotay's feelings for janeway yeah. Though it, I think we've been clear from the beginning. He is a hundred percent all in as soon yeah. as he agrees to be her second in command. Yes, you could so go maybe back. That's part of it. Yeah, you could go back and explain it like he has, and say it's because I fell for the lady warrior, or whatever. But you're right that until now, that has not. I just thought he was like, I'm back in Starfleet, like nothing ever happened. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to do a good uh, job this time. Which is a more, a much more reasonable explanation for what we see, because he's not just loyal to Janeway. Yeah. He's all in oh, yeah. on Starfleet. He punched that dude because he's like, oh, you want to go back to Maquis times? Fucking bust you right in yeah. the face. We know there's never, we've never seen a moment where he has Maquis sentiments. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm sorry. There was one moment when, 
he said maybe it's time we stop playing by the rules like either the very like the first couple episodes of this season or the last couple episodes of the previous season right but um i believe that the answer to that episode was no you just got to play by the rules (laughs) that's right yeah so if his loyalty to her has been personal it hasn't been shown either and uh, like you said, I don't understand Tuvok's decision-making or why Kess's appeal worked on him. So I feel like the episode becomes kind of a mess because of that. Yeah, I give it three fact. points. And actually, you can downgrade mine to a three as well. <laughs> Sorry, just, Voyager. I feel like everything that I thought was bad about it was totally reinforced. And I just went, <laughs> yeah, you know what? It is a three. That's true. Um, Ben's a three. Okay. <laughs> uh, he says, so the Vidians know where the ship is going and simply decide not to pursue? Well, they probably don't want to spend six weeks going there. Voyager is <laughs> one of the fastest ships in the quadrant, right? So, like. But I thought we were told the Vidians are just as fast or something. Are they just as fast? Because I think that they're behind tech. in most ways, but they have good medical tech. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Also, they're now ejecting the core every fifth episode or so and turning it into a bomb. Well, he just ejected a container of antimatter. <laughs> They don't. They make no effort to explain his little trick. He does a little trick. There's so much in this episode, and so little of it's worth getting into. I mean, he makes a little makeshift mine to yeah. get rid, to disable these Vidian ships that are he's attacking him. He's a great him. tactician. Well, you didn't say this, but when he when he concedes to meet with the Vidians, he does spend the 24 hours or whatever before they meet running battle drills. Mm-hmm. So at least he's going in prepared. Unless they're um, all fucking exhausted from their drills. He wants to know why they don't build some dilithium bombs. I think it's just antimatter. Yeah. I don't think they want to get into dilithium, because every time they go mining, they get <laughs> organs stolen or something. I think that is the main problem. They're going to have to go into it. See, antimatter you can make out of the matter you get in space, but uh, if you have to go get that dilithium, someone's losing their face or lungs. Yeah, someone's going into a cave, and that's You get some cave news. scenario, and the best case... A scenario if you run into a cave is you meet a tiny dinosaur. Yeah, sometimes you're caving with Neelix, and that's not so bad. But sometimes you're caving with the Vidians, and that's a problem. Uh, I didn't need uh, Jane Tay. He has christened them. Love mm. story. Chakowe? Ch- uh, he calls her Catherine the whole time, and she just calls him Chakote. He may not have another name. Chakathrin. That may be his entire name. That's Catherine. Um, I, I think we only are ever told his name is Chicote. That is true. Um, I don't even think it's unreasonable that they could eventually have worked some kind of romantic relationship in. Like yeah. they are the only two people on that planet. Sure. We know uh, Janeway likes Dick. Sure. And uh, Chicote. <laughs> the more again, European, no, the better. Usually, but sure. No issues with fraternization. So yeah. Uh, it's not unreasonable, but it, it did happen real quick, and the real worst part is that Chakotay made it seem like it's always been that way for him. And then it's like, what's this about? Yep, We didn't need that. We could have just been, I don't know, we're here. Yeah. I saw I saw your skinny body in that bathtub, and I thought about things. <laughs> and I figured, I'm never going to fuck anybody else. <laughs> well, it's her or nothing. So... Also, I've tried five times to make a wooden pussy out in the forest, and <laughs> so far all I've gotten is splinters, so. <laughs> Do you know that a replicator is not programmed with, like, a flashlight? It's, it's a wild. real bummer. I, I've been trying to put the specs I'm in. I'm not smart enough to do it, and I haven't worked up the courage to ask you to do it. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. The, the, uh, yeah, again, that's the real problem with the love story angle. Is, um, well, same problem is up on the ship. Motivations aren't. I've right. had some lady bosses. I don't think there's any of them that in six weeks I could be like, "Hey, let's do a thing." 
Love. I got a great story to tell you from my Indian ancestors. That's right. I'll be ready for it's. I would love if in season five of Voyager, it turns out he's not even Indian. He's just like, <laughs> all right, look, I started telling this lie in the academy to make me seem unique and cool, and it just became like a thing, I'm, and I've been living with it. I'm actually I from even, San Diego. Is, I don't. This is why I'm so. This is why I'm so into uh, Starfleet now because I, frankly, I didn't want to be in the Maquis at all. Those aren't my people, and it's not my fight. <laughs> But I just got people kept saying, I don't know, Chakotay, you're Indian. Those By the Indians way, my got name is James. Yeah. Hey, I don't know, Chakotay, you're Indian. How do you feel about those settlers from that one episode? I don't think all the settlers in the Cardassian zone are Indian, but I, those were. So how do you feel about that? You're probably going to be in the Maquis now. And there you go. That concludes the conversation that happened before that character was created. Yep. Remember those Indians? We should make an Indian one. Wait, are they all Indians? I think all of them. I thought it was just disaffected Federation. I mean, I know that planet was Indian. I think all of them. I think everyone. They're all Indians. I think everyone on the Cardassian side of the border is an Indian. It just worked out that way. So we should make uh, uh, Indian. Smash cut to Deep Space Nine and the Maquis are ten bald white guys. And you're like, oh. (laughs) Well. I guess that makes sense. And a Vulcan. And a Vulcan. God damn it. All right. Uh, let's, Let's just admit that they didn't do a good job of inventing the Maquis. No, they didn't. Everything we've seen about them is pretty bad. Why is why is Balana there? What sense does that make? Was she living on a Federation world in the Cardassia? The only backstory we ever got from her was that she was mad at Starfleet because she didn't get through the Academy. Yeah. That's it. That's Apparently that is enough to become a straight-up rebel. Let's talk about uh, world building. Yeah, okay. We've got um, modular shelters. Yeah. Camping. It was mildly interesting, but it wasn't really gone into in detail. We have those today. Yeah. Uh, type 9 shuttlecraft can go warp 4. Mm-hmm. Plasma storms. All right. Starfleet apparently uses stasis pods now. Well, they've We run don't into, really see that a lot. They've run frankly. into so many uh, cryogenically frozen people from the we past. Saw, we saw that Greek boy in stasis <laughs> yep. in... Uh, that very oily uh unnatural selection oily hairless uh teenage man that's right yes <laughs> that's right the mediterranean man child <laughs> and uh so it's not clear how much starfleet uses stasis but apparently the how did they get dude 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 dude, dude. I they got they, bit by insects dude i think they stole those pods from that clown planet well, they're probably the clown pods, yeah, for sure. They just took them and put them in a cargo bay or whatever. So, God, am I going to have to take another fucking point for Okay, so here's the thing. Somewhere? So, they're not near any other Starfleet facilities, so if somebody gets mangled in some way, they really do probably f- think that put them in putting, stasis, putting, putting in stasis bad. is something okay, that they can that's try fine. to do. Is that killer still locked in his room? Um, yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, he is, and I know that for a reason. Oh no! Do we see him again? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We see Warp Tongue later. Spoiler alert! Uh, I know for a reason that's all. Is he going to have to do something heroic? I I know for a reason that he does something heroic. All right, fine. Okay, cool. Um, so they're on the planet. They get bit by these skeeters. Sure. But as long as they're on the planet, they're not sick. Yep. How do they even know they got infected with a disease? Um, they came. Did they Did they go back up? And then Why was sick. it so serious that they put them into fucking stasis? They're not sick. 
They couldn't have been camping for two weeks while the doctor worked on some shit? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. While they're on the planet, yeah, they don't need to be in the pod. Like, this shit starts with them waking up from stasis not addressed. I guess they kept him in Just stasis. The, on the, the only ship. reason is so we can cut in there and then have the doctor explain that he's been working hard for two weeks. Yeah. It's not a well crafted premise. Um, anyway, in terms of world building, uh, but, oh, what happens to that shuttle at the end, by the way? They have access to a Type 9 shuttle down there, but they beam up at the end. Do they going to beam someone back down in why like didn't a they beekeeper just... suit and then have them fly up Wait, back Exactly. Up? Why didn't the two people who were infected get in the fucking shuttle and fly it up? Yeah, it's not clear. It's not clear. They flew it down. Maybe they thought they were tired from their camping trip, so they just wanted That's to be idiotic. They, yeah. well, these people cannot afford to leave a whole shuttlecraft behind. They must have picked it up. Oh, no, I think for sure they picked it up, but I think it's the okay. beekeeper outfit guy. I give it two for world building. I don't think they really made any effort. I am in complete agreement it's a two. Uh, the recognition that the Vidians, who are still just around, have superior medical tech and might be worth consulting with. Uh, Tuvok is third in command, which we already, I think, knew and makes sense in this case for sure. Um, Type 9 shuttles warp four. This weird planet has got some real on-brand Earth monkeys. <laughs> yeah. You didn't like that spider monkey? That was just... Just, just a regular spider that monkey? That was just a regular spider monkey. Like, I guess painting a monkey is probably not <laughs> great, right? I, I just... I know when we get to the chase, a lot will be explained about DNA, but, like... That was just a plain old monkey on the other side of the galaxy. Does that the Delta Quadrant, by the I, way? I must! They keep running into humanoids out there. Because it seems like it's mo- all... All you need to run the program is all the races we already knew. Including Cardassians, who we kind of just met. Yes, for some reason, the uh, the chase that they go on does only take place in, like, three sectors. But <laughs> it's, the, it's still true of the entire galaxy. Uh, this idyllic planet has got some wild plasma storms that the tricorders don't recognize. That's meaningless. Yeah. Don't know why it was important that the tricorders not recognize. Well, like, by the way, if the tricorder said type 8 plasma storm, what, are they gonna do about it? what were they going to do? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I know how to defend against those. Well, Captain, it's a type 8 plasma storm. I guess we should do what we were going to do anyway. Hide under a table. <laughs> right. Hope we live. I just sometimes I wonder how any of this writing happens. Like, the monkey warns her about this fucking uh-huh. storm. What does the monkey want her to do? It doesn't lead him to a cave or anything. Well, it turns out you're immune to plasma lightning strikes if uh, if you've got some monkey saliva in you. Ah. Uh, only this planet, though. This planet's on-brand monkeys. I wish that she had caught and eaten that monkey. And <laughs> yeah, she, if she, and she, if she be like, I thought you were trying to make friends with that monkey. And she would say, Fuck that, I gotta eat! Being my friend is dangerous. <laughs> That's right. I've always wanted to eat monkey. Um, I'm surprised they didn't make a Chicote spirit animal or something. Uh, we know what a spirit animal is. I'm just is. saying, they could have they sent them on a But I have forgotten journey. it. What is a spirit animal? I know we met hers. Did he reveal what his was? I don't even remember. What was hers? A stoat? I don't remember. It, it, was, a, uh, it was a targ, I think. They just got that, they got that targ from uh, Worf's sex fantasy. Oh, that was a different fantasy. The targ wasn't in that. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was just a two. Just a two for me. Yeah, uh, Ben gave it a three. Mm. He thinks it's uh, odd that the ship is always scrounging for roots and dilithium crystals, but has the materials to outfit a tiny colony with everything, including a bathtub. Chicote made that bathtub. He man. made it. 
He made it, bro. He just used his own. And when she asked tools. how he milled the wood, he said phasers. So what are you going to do? We've but, seen yeah. phasers do some wild stuff, but apparently they've got a setting now that can make dolphins just like... Uh, just like Harry. Harry Jr. Just like on the magical world of Magrathia. I've forgotten what it's actually called. I don't remember either. Um, it was a cloaked planet, and its name it starts was... with um, an A, I think. Like... Uh, Aldean. Oh, Ald- Aldea. Aldea. There yeah, we go. that was the one. Uh, to be fair, I had this exact criticism recently about Voyager that I'm trying to figure out why they're spending so much time stocking up. I feel like I this emergent this emergency shelter shit though was probably just in a cargo bay. Like this seems like it's probably pretty standard Starfleet equipment. Yeah, uh, I bet they shipped out with that crap, and they haven't had a lot of use for it. Like their problem with the replicators is energy, and they don't describe it on the discuss it on the planet. But I'm guessing they're just using solar power down there. Yeah, that's why that uh, Type A plasma storm is really a pain in the ass. Yeah. Uh, characterization. Why doesn't? Oh, he sorry. He also asked at the end, why wouldn't they beam up all of the supplies? Yeah, yeah. I assume they should have. They sent Tom Paris down. The they might have done risk. it. Listen, they had to get that shuttle, right? Yeah. Maybe they picked up after themselves, but it's not the captain's job to clean up. Plus, she probably wants to get in a you know back in an actual uniform and like sleep on a bed and shit. You suppose they took that bathtub up? Some <laughs> good. It's a good point. I hope we see it in her quarters next week. Um, okay, characterization. Um, yeah, what have you got? Why doesn't anybody ever ask why Neelix is in these staff meetings? He just says stuff like, the morale of the crew's really gonna suffer. Didn't he run his mouth and get invited to them one time, like, real early on? It's like episode two or something, and he's like, I should be there, because I'm, uh, I'm the morale officer, or whatever. And she's just like, mm, fuck it. But, like, shut up, dude, everybody knows that. Why are you in here, though? You idiot. Um... Tuvok claims he's unable to experience the emotions Paris talks about. I thought they experienced them so intensely that it drove the whole world crazy. Yes, so it's the big Vulcan problem. Yeah. Is half the time the story is Vulcans don't have emotions. Mm -hmm. And the other half the time is Vulcans have crazy powerful emotions, and that's why they suppress all emotional decision making. And again, the problem is... the same characters will just say both things, just depending yeah. on what episode it is. And this week, Tuvok claims not to have emotions. Yes, he says he's not capable of feeling those emotions. Whereas, if the if all Vulcan characters were more honest, by which I mean if the show was better written, that he would say something like, uh, I, 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 I'm not willing to relax my mental discipline enough to experience that. Yeah, right. I, I gotta keep a lid yeah. on my shit, so thank right. you. Thanks for bringing that up, but no, I'm good. By the way, not just because I'm a Vulcan, but also because I have to be the captain of this ship now. Yeah, even a human captain would have to um, uh, weigh the logical uh, ramifications of their actions rather than just, like, go hog. Like, hey, didn't didn't you see... What's the name of the Iconian episode? A conversation that almost happened in Contagion, where Wesley Crusher's like, everybody on that ship just died, how do yeah. we keep going on, like, about our business? And Picard starts to explain it to him before his replicator fucks it up. Because of small touches, we don't actually have to hear that. We don't actually have to hear that, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a conversation that Tuvok should have been having with the crew. Like, yeah. we still have to do... We still have to do our mission, and our mission is to get home. Yeah. But instead, he's sort of back to being run, being like the run laps Tuvok. Yep. (laughs) Um, It would have been great if he'd made Harry Kim run laps for his bridge. 
nonsense. I, I don't really blame him for being a hard ass on this one because he basically has a rebellion in its infancy right. in front of him and he kind of has to shut that shit down. But then again, he's 100% in on this Vidian plan at some point and I'm not sure why. Um, Janeway loves to relax in the bath. Not sure what to do with that. Janeway will miss the fun on board Voyager. When was that? I don't know. I mean, I guess it's playing in that hollow novel. Because yeah. we we don't see her interact with um, the crew. Yeah. As far as we know, she hangs out in her quarters on her ready room. Also, when was the fun? All I remember is um, just lots of emergencies. Do you remember when there was a double of our whole ship and I had to have a high-stakes conversation with my counterpart about which one of us was going to kill their whole crew? That's what and I that missed was fun. the most. That was fucking wild. Forget this monkey. That was <laughs> wild. Uh, and again, does she give in to Chakotay so quickly because of the situation? I did an execution last week. Did you see when I when I totally killed that guy? I was stone cold. I walked out of there. I didn't say dick. Then, like, I, I felt bad, but I couldn't tell anyone. It was fun, though. It's a good time. Um, Do you remember when things got twisted? <laughs> Like what? Like where you thought engineering would be? It was it was sick bay. And for some reason, I was like passed out and woozy in Sandrine's. But I gave you guys a message. <laughs> you remember it was like Twin Peaks. It was amazing. <laughs> um, does she give in to Chakotay so quickly because of the situation? Because she really fetishizes his heritage, or just has she always had a thing for him? I just think she likes Dick. I think she likes Dick too. But she can't because she's the captain. But now she's not the captain. Now she's just Catherine. Do you, you notice, by the way, there's no no reason that they have to start wearing civilian clothes. No. But they both do. And um, hers is... Um... And she goes, like... She, <laughs> she goes to a long dress and uh, ballet flats. She looks like Heidi. Yeah, kind or of. something. <laughs> uh, so I think she is kind of fetishizing not being in Starfleet. Yeah. If nothing else. Uh, Torres is super pissed off about the crappy engineering progress reports she's getting. And um, if anybody can come up with a good rebellion plan, she's in. But she's not going to do it herself. No. She's, she ain't going to uh, fucking mutiny uh, from her own uh, ideas. Uh, Kim is ready to revolt right away. And Tuvok uh, is right that it makes no difference that they just happened across the Vidians. Yeah. Kim he is says like, that that's a that sophistry is uh, beneath him, basically. And it's true. Kim's like, yeah, but like, what if we just happened to bump into him out here, right? Like, we could just talk to him then. Then they wouldn't be dangerous. And Tuvok doesn't say, are you four? <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? Um, uh, Chakotay is eye-fucking Janeway's shoulders, something fierce. Yep. And he's what? painting this whole time she's looking for a cure it looks like he's, yeah, painting. he's doing a bunch of sand paintings and shit learn how to pipe at bro get in there <laughs> you know what i mean it's not that hard um i'm sure that the, the journey is what's important not the final product that's true where did he get that colored sand oh replicator they've got a replicator <laughs> yeah. he can build log cabins it'd be great if he fucking made a game boy i replicated a game boy and it's uh, i've really wanted to play pokemon Sun and Moon. I never got into that one. Um, I think I could figure out how to make log cabins. Like, I've played with Lincoln Logs. Yeah, I think that's 
Isn't that like it? Basically, it. You cut like and a notch. You probably pack them full of mud or something so they don't leak. Yeah, you like you cut a notch in one of the logs and put the other log in that notch, right? Isn't that what we're doing? I think that's it, man. I think that's the whole game. Um, Chakotay needs to work on his game. Don't talk about your mom while you're seducing this lady, bro. Yep, that's a party foul. And then here comes an ancient legend. Hey, Kess, maybe work on your intro. She just walks in and goes, I want to talk to you about my father. Yeah. Maybe she can lead with an icebreaker of some kind. Um, it's a four. Uh, I also have it as a four. Or, turns out we're uh, dead in sync on this one after you deducted a point. I actually deducted one for characterization as well. Okay, fine. <laughs> as um, I was reading it. It feels a little out of place for Kim to take the troublemaker role here. Although I guess at this point he's like the fourth ranking officer on the ship. I thought it would make more sense coming from Torres. Mm-hmm. But then I thought maybe they didn't want to complicate it by making it a Maquis issue. And then you thought, uh, no, never mind. They didn't give it any thought. Uh, yeah, then I, uh, yeah, whatever. I don't feel like I learned anything about Tuvok in this one. No. Do you? No, no, if anything, we are more confused by his behavior. I don't understand yeah. anything that happened. And then uh, Janeway tries, it seems like she's purposely setting up a business-as-usual tone with Chakotay when they get back to the bridge, so I don't expect this to come up much. No, especially because he's still got a baby out there, like a baby on the way. Oh, and yeah, he does uh, still think he's got a baby out there. There's some stuff going on out there. Whether that's true or not, I don't even care to speculate. But he does think it's true. But we're getting on towards the end of the season, aren't we? Or yeah, I think next week is the season finale. Okay, so we should find some of this stuff out soon. Uh, Ben's a three on characterization. He was threes all across the board. Okay. He says Janeway hates goodbyes, then does the most cliche goodbye ever. Yeah. Uh, Chicote likes playing house. He says Tuvok is doing a good job as acting captain. Hmm. And fuck everyone else who's undermining him. Well, yes. It's like the Galileo um, 7, except everything Spock did made sense, and only some of what Tuvok does makes sense. Right. <laughs> He's doing about half as good his job as Spock, which yeah. makes sense. Right. He's about half as good an officer He's as Spock. approximately half a Spock. Um, ben gave best actor to Tuvok and worst to Chakotay. Oof. I give best to Chakotay because he does some good horny acting. Yeah, he's he does some not over the top horny acting. He is horny though, for sure. Like it's not, it's, there's no, it's not vocal, and I think that's part of it. He just does it with uh, eyes and body language. Mm -hmm. And I give worst actor to Kim. Oh, good, basically as you always. should, as you should. But petulant is not was not the improvement that we needed in his character. I don't think there's an emotion he can play. We haven't found it yet. Or a there's condition. 10 or, there's 10 or 12 emotions, and he's only done three of them, so who knows. Okay, we'll find out. Do you think there could be as many as 10 emotions? That's I don't a, know. That's a discussion for another, another day. <laughs> I don't know. We're already 50 minutes into this. Son of a bitch, okay. Quick hitters? Uh, quick hitters. So, boy, we've talked about so much. I interrupted you a lot in this one. That's okay. Uh, Tuvok is so mad at Chakotay because of their rivalry that he doesn't let him speak to the crew. Yeah. And in his log, he refers to him as the first officer. <laughs> yep. That they've left Captain Janeway and the first officer behind. <laughs> Though they are arch enemies. Fucking not even gonna, you're not going to hear Chakotay's name in Tuvok's mouth. If he can help it. That's right. He's like, yeah, you can't talk to the crew. Uh, but boy, I really want to tell you, you did a great job and no one's ever going to know you existed. The end. Yeah. I think I touched on everything else. Okay. 
Um, I, what I wrote down in real time was, oh, damn it, I remember this one. Actually, let me be clear. I remember Mulgrew in a tub, and Chakotay is there, and the rest I blocked out. <laughs> um, 17-day jump at the beginning of the episode, then two more big jumps. Last week they had a two-week jump as well in Voyager. Um, I hate their forest village attire. <laughs> it's very bad, and it doesn't make sense. I don't understand wh- what the fashion is supposed to be in the 2370s. Janeway just asked a monkey if he understands her. I think she might already be losing it on that planet. Uh, this is just getting to her brain. Uh, the return of Schmollis. The only good acting I found in the show was the face acting by Mulgrew when she's looking at her plant, now back in uniform and ready to beam back to Voyager. <laughs> she looks like me on a Monday morning before work. <laughs> she's like, oh, Fuck, I cannot believe I have to be back up there right now when my plant is going to die. Uh, that's it. That's all I had. Cool. Um, fourth place last week was The Next Generation. Rough for them. Yeah, an unusual showing. Although uh, last week was a pretty good week, and the episode was still above it was, average. <laughs> it was only the Ampo Jitsu episode, so... That's right. It just wasn't that great. Um, but that means that uh, this week we watched Pen Pals. Yes! One of 50 TNG episodes I've been dying to see again. <laughs> but is it also one of the worst 150 TNG episodes? It is tied, Isn't that your is, criterion, yes. 25? And it then is the... tied for last with 150 <laughs> other episodes. That's correct. <laughs> it's not good. You'll see. It's not a good episode. You watched it. Yep. Uh, Enterprise is the first manned ship in a sector that is uh, has been recorded by unmanned probes to be a undergoing unusually high levels of geological activity yeah so they're going to be doing a big science survey about all of these coming apart planets but that can't be it uh and um that doesn't give picard a lot to do because he doesn't care about that so he's gonna really settle in on the holodeck and ride horses all right not Dixon well, Hill this if, time. He's moved on to something else yeah, now he's gonna ride horses in that same park in la where they filmed um Everything. Uh, the Alice in Wonderland episode. Yep. Yes. Um, uh, but they uh, he gets called up to look at a dead world that once had a thriving ecosystem. Because it's pretty... These planets are pretty fucked up. Yeah, they're all dying real quick. Like, uh, you know, cosmically these things last for um, a very long time. But the, uh, I think their probe was in this system... What do they say? A hundred years ago? Fifty years ago? Something like that. Yeah, fairly recently. And these planets are all blowed up since then. Yeah. Uh, Riker, meanwhile, has a little meeting with the senior staff to discuss uh, Wesley's education. And he proposes to let Wesley lead the planetary mineral surveys. Because it's going to be kind of a leadership experience for him. And this is Mojo Riker, which we'll get into a lot. um, Because I have a lot to say about it. But he is canvassing the crew, but ultimately he does not give a shit what they say. No. He's already made the decision. But uh, having the staff meeting is the done thing. Yes. So that's what they're doing. Um, Picard gives Wesley some advice, but it's just to, uh, you know, make use of the crew of the ship and ask questions and not be prideful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, Data is working on a pet project to improve the sensors, which irritates Worf. At this point, these guys are not getting along. Worf told him to shut up last week. I mean, he told him to be gone. He told him to be gone, but he meant shut up. We meant shut up. Yeah. 
Yeah, now he's got his toys all over the fucking floor. So, here's the crux of this thing. Wesley is nervous about giving orders to older officers. Yes. And it doesn't help that one of the guys he picks for his team, a guy named Davies, is a real Leland T. Lynch type. He's got a lot of opinions. He's got opinions. He throws Wesley the side advice to just let me know if you want me to take over. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty lynchy. Doesn't use his full name. Don't know what it is. No. Something Davies. He's at least a chief engineer Logan. He's in there. But this is going to be the, the main thing for Wesley is working with this dude. Yeah. He embodies Wesley's nervousness about working with old people. It's true. It's like he conjured him. He's like, he oh, did conjure I'm nervous. <laughs> These guys are all older than me. What if they got, like, ideas? How am I going to tell them? And this guy's like, I'm older than you. I got a lot of ideas. I'd be wild at the end. They're like, we fixed the dilithium problems. And also, now that there's not dilithium waves propagating through space, uh, who's Davies? There's no such person. <laughs> it's right. <laughs> it's a, uh, uh, what's it called? Remember me situation. He's got a, we've got a real remember me. Anyway, that's not what happens. No. Data uh, is, has moved to his quarters so he doesn't piss off Worf. And uh, while he's there, he picks up a radio signal from a little girl mm. who is in some distress because she's on one of these planets and it sucks. The planet sucks. planet does suck. It's on fire. Smash cut uh, six weeks later. That can't yeah. be right. No, you're not wrong, though, bro, because I don't know if that was the first time he picked up her signal or what, but he tells Picard that he has been talking to her for eight weeks. Actually, yeah, we do a little six-week check-in where we just see Wesley's getting pushed around a little bit by his team, and then we cut another two weeks. It's crazy. And Data has figured out that uh, the person he's talking to is in real trouble, so he goes to interrupt Picard, who's riding horses in the holodeck, again, eight weeks later. It would be cool if they showed him doing a different hobby. (laughs) Yeah. But no. They rented that horse. They're going to use it. They've been out there for two months, and he's got nothing to do. Yeah. Ugh. This is Picard's life all of the time we're not seeing him. That's right. He's got his crew doing shit, and he's just dicking around. Every once in a while. This is why, this is why when we see him, he's just like fucking, I'm trying to solve Fermat's last theorem. That's right. He's or, always uh, looking hey, at that the... planet had a crazy old impossible <laughs> orbit. <laughs> he's just bored. I yeah. am bored as hell out here. You know I'm not doing paperwork. Every once in a while, he checks in when Riker's complaining about personnel and tells him he's got to learn to live with it, or whatever. Yep. Like, do your job and fix this personnel problem. I don't have to deal with this. Yep, 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 yep. Anyway, he goes to uh, talk to to Picard, and he tells him, hey, I've been talking to this little girl named Sarjenka on the radio. No, her people don't know about aliens and space and shit. I went over we're, to her house. It wasn't to have sex with her. I just I thought we were going to hang out. And yeah, I brought Hansen beer and was condoms. There. And <laughs> Hansen was there, and he's like, hey, nice to meet you. And I did kind of panic, and I admitted that I was there to fuck her, but I wasn't there to fuck her. Um... Well, instead, uh, he comes and talks to Picard, confirms that they've got a prime directive, and that he wants to violate the prime directive. <laughs> That's correct. He goes, hey, you know that prime directive? Do we still have that? Is that still... Is that still a thing? That's still on that the books? We, we're not allowed to do? Eight weeks ago, but is it still? Because uh, her planet's going to hella explode. Yeah, now she's my best so, friend. So, Picard tells Data, stop fucking talking to her right now. I'll have a secret meeting off the books in my quarters to discuss what to do. We'll have one of those because we're going to break. We might have to break the law, so I don't even want this meeting on the books. Right. So uh, they go to his quarters. Mm. For some reason, at this point, we see uh, Wesley interrupting a date that Riker's on with one of the crew yeah, members. He's getting after it. 
And uh, he, you know, Riker's a good guy. He goes and helps Wesley, even though uh, it definitely sets back this relationship with this uh, young lady. Well, yeah, because after he talks to Wesley, he's got to he gets called into another thing. That yeah. Meeting. Well, now they've got it. Now they've got to go do the secret meeting. Yeah. Data just put it on Picard's schedule. Yeah. But now they have to go do it. So like. I don't know what Riker's plan was. He only had an extra... It would only given him an extra two minutes if Wesley hadn't shown up. Right, yeah. Maybe he didn't check his schedule? Yeah, he got the automatic, like, 15-minute uh, warning. On, Everyone on else Outlook. is in Picard's quarters uh, while Riker's on this date, and then someone's like, I'll call him. <laughs> I, I, do you have a cell phone number? I got I got it. Don't worry, I'll do it. Uh, so, let's see. So they're going to do this okay. meeting. So... While they're doing the secret meeting, by the way, Wesley goes and tells the guy to to run the procedure that he wanted to do that the guy thought was maybe a waste of time. The, and the, the guy's just like, yeah, sure, I'll run it. Yeah. So it was a non-issue kind of all along. Like, Wesley just needed to act with authority. Yeah, he got this good, good advice from Riker, and he went and he went, we're going right. to do it. The guy goes, yeah, I know. Yeah, Riker, Riker tells him, um, ask yourself what Picard would do. And then Wesley figures out what that is, and then Riker says, and does anybody question him? Yeah. And then they're all like, no. And because Wesley's not usually invited to the secret mutiny meetings, so no. he doesn't know. No. But he does go in there and he gives the guy his British accent. He's like, right. we'll run the icogram. <laughs> and the guy's like, Arch- you got it. I want, uh, D- D- Davies, I want you to run that icogram. Archaeology. Shakespeare. Engage. <laughs> Make it so. <laughs> uh, all right. So cut to the meeting. Hmm. Uh,. They start with a discussion of the Prime Directive. It's good. Let's get the basics out of the way. But it immediately turns into a discussion about predestination and fate. Yeah. And whether the universe really wants us to do anything. It becomes a college freshman conversation real quick. Mojo Riker's got opinions, and he doesn't care if they're dumb. (laughs) He does. He sticks up for his dumb opinions. He just gets into it, and he's like, I got a pretty dumb idea, and I'm feeling myself, so you all have to listen to it. It and then breaks he gets down kind of, he gets kind like, of shitty when they do when they disagree with him too. Yeah, it breaks down to basically, uh, Jordy and Pulaski think they should help this girl. Yeah, and obviously Data, and Data clearly. Uh, Worf is a hard no, <laughs> and Picard and Riker have the attitude that doing this would be a big pain in everybody's ass, <laughs> and it would be. It would just sort of be better to let that world blow up and forget about that girl and sorry, Data. They're the ones that have to fill out the forms and triplicate. Yeah. Um, like, Picard gives a speech about how the Prime Directive protects them mm-hmm. from, presumably, from having to make a decision. I think that's exactly what he means. He says, so, uh, he says it has a, there's a lot of reasons that we got this thing, not the least of which, yeah. not the least of which, no. is to protect us. Is to protect us. Yep. He's just straight up saying it out there. He's just like, yeah, some people are going to die because we don't make any decisions. And that's the whole point. Like, we don't, we're not getting into it. Anyway, at this point, Data f- figures out that he is going to lose this discussion. And so he walks over to Picard's <laughs> computer and he fucking tunes in to Channel Sarjanka. And we just hear, Data, are you out there? Help! Data, why aren't you answering? <laughs> Help me! <laughs> And uh, then, and then Data just—he doesn't have a mic to drop, but he turns around and gives everyone a shitty look. And then Picard's like, "Ah, fuck! All right, it's we're gonna have to do this, but let's do it sneaky." That's right. Yeah. 
So they get to this place. Now, by this point, Wesley's team... Oh, by the way, unclear how much time passes before they get to Drayma 4. No, we're doing lots of time jumps this week in all yeah. the shows. They're just time jumps. Uh, at this point, Wesley's team has figured out these planets are fucking packed to the gills with dilithium. And just like it focuses warp energy, it's focusing the thermal energy of the planets, and that's why they're ripping themselves to shits. Yeah. Cool. Um, he got a plan they think they think can fix it. Mm-hmm. Which is to shoot. fire photon torpedoes into the planet. It's the Riker plan. Riker's plan, actually, is always to shoot torpedoes. He's going to vibrate these crystals apart yeah. with with resonance. And um, that's cool. Now we are in a conversation where Riker comes to Picard and says, Hey, uh, Data came to me directly with this one. He's figured out the safest place on the planet. And he wants to go get Sarjanka and take her there. And Picard's like, fuck me. He literally says, in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. And then... Um, Data goes, yeah, that's exactly And Data goes, yeah, no, that's that's what I was thinking. Yeah, that aphorism, exactly. And Picard goes, all right, I don't have a counter-argument. Yeah, okay, I guess so. I guess that's what we're doing. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> but he tells Riker to operate the transporter himself. Yeah. And do it on the sly. So what sucks about being second in command is everyone else gets to absolve themselves of responsibility, yep. but Captain Picard orders him to break the rules. Yep. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter because he uh, Riker beams him down, and then Picard immediately calls him back to the bridge. So they're gonna we're gonna work O'Brien in. He's been pretty cool about me murdering my time clone I for the last couple of weeks. Guy. Shit, it's been two or three months at this point. Yeah. Anyway, he seems like he plays ball. He's white. <laughs> Let's get him in on this. That's right. He's all in. Um, Data goes down there. Sarjanka's not there. He finds her janky radio and her sophisticated as hell door. Mm-hmm. We'll have to talk about the technology of these people. But yeah. yeah. Uh, and then she runs on in. And as soon as he says that she's come back for the transmitter because she's worried about Data. Mm. Uh but she's not a, once he announces who he is, she doesn't ask any follow-up questions. No. And they beam up to the ship because there's too much volcanoes. That's what he claims. He claims there's too much volcanoes. I have to beam Too much up. volcanoes. Got to beam up to the ship. So now she's on the ship. It takes her right to the fucking bridge. Yep. Straight to the command center. Uh, where everyone is like standing around nervously waiting for the crime to be over. <laughs> like, did you get that sense that yes. everyone's like, no one even moved the like, he should, he should have called up by now. And they're like, we are doing crime. <laughs> it's exactly like waiting for someone who is in there robbing a bank. Picard is like, I could go to jail. Yeah. Anyway, data shows up with the crime in progress. Yep. So now they're all fucking implicated. Then Picard does one of his things where he kind of turns away. From data, and it's just like, uh, did he just straight? Did he just straight bring her onto the bridge? He brought a child onto my bridge. Yeah. Um. Anyway, she's worried, so she won't leave the bridge. Uh. But they shoot torpedoes at the planet in a good way. Yep, yep, yep. yep. And it works. And then he, Picard tells Data to take her to sick bay. And while they do that, he gets on the fucking horn with Pulaski while Data's still walking her down there. And says, can we erase this girl's memory? Yeah. And Pulaski says, maybe. Yeah, why not? Sure. Data shows up with her in sickbay, and apparently he knows about the plan. And I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Unclear. Uh, but they do, with, they do it. He does a little chat with Pulaski asking whether this is ethical, what they're doing to her. Uh, yeah. 
you know, this experimental brain surgery that they're doing uh-huh. to cover their asses. And, um, I don't know, maybe his doubts about why it's ethical is why he leaves her with a fucking singing rock from an alien world when he leaves. Yeah. Maybe that's not an outright act of defiance, huh? God, Data. Uh, we get two short scenes to close it out. Uh, Riker tells Wesley that command is uh, never gets any easier. And uh, Picard tells Data that remembrance and regret are part of friendship and that his uh, Pinocchio level has gone up. Mm-hmm. He's now Pinocchio He's level little, 7. A little closer to being human. Mm-hmm. And not a little closer to the fucking scrapyard, <laughs> which is where he should be <laughs> for his... For his crimes. This episode is wild. Prime means number one. Yeah, it's number one with a bullet. It's the one. But it's not like... Not the first one they thought of. Because you wouldn't use Prime for that. That's right, yeah. Prime means most important. Yeah. Hey Matt, what's this episode about? I'll just say... There's a point before... They know that he wants to beam down to the planet and, and find her. Where he just has calculated the safest place. And he wants to tell her where to go. And then he comes in to the ready room. Oh, yeah. And he goes, I can't get a hold of her. I need to go find her on the planet. And Riker goes, oh, come on, Data. Just like that. Come on, Data. (laughs) And I thought at home, yeah. Come on. it, It is, honestly, it is very like the moment when Tuvok tells Kim that his... His bullshit is not going to fly here. <laughs> yeah, but it's just the way he said it was exactly how I've always said it every time at home. Dude, come on. <laughs> um, look, yes, I- no, there are some some good small touches in this episode. Uh, I mean, it's like a little thing like we're in it up to here and now we're in it up to here. Yes, I love that. We, yes, I was going to talk about that for sure. Yeah. Um, I think there's two ways to go with this take. It either okay. has something to do with uh, uh, command and the decisions you have to make uh, that would tie in Wesley and all the shit Picard has to go through in this episode. Right. But I actually think what this episode really did was the standard litigation of the Prime Directive and non-interference. <laughs> yep. Which is easy to track for me, and obviously very Trek, though sort of a common premise. I went back and I looked. I gave Justice a 9 Right. on premise. I gave this a 7. Okay. Because as this take keeps happening, it definitely feels less original and like, did we already, I feel like we already did this. Yep. Um, But it was actually slightly different enough with the exact argument that it was still probably worth having the conversation. So even if I don't agree with what they did in the end, the takes us seven. Yeah. So, um, I agree that this is the standard prime directive episode yeah which i have just phrased here as there are other obligations beside duty or regulations right yes so here's what i think about this take the idea that individual judgment of what's right and wrong in a situation should override strict adherence to dogma Mm -hmm. is very star trek yes um i think what hurts this episode is that picard's speech about the prime directive protecting them from having to make tough calls is directly opposed to that notion yes it makes it very hard for me to give them credit for well, it. he makes the speech but then he does the exact opposite yeah so it's kind of an evaluation of that idea 
Yeah, like, he's like here's at point why... A in the episode, he he espouses that dumb belief, but yes. then he's going to violate it. Ah, oh, jeez, maybe. And yes, he's like, look, here's why we're not going to do shit. These All are right. the rules, and this is why they're the rules. And then like Data plays his fucking shitty trick, where he's like, oh, I guess we're just going to listen to the radio for a minute. No big deal, guys. And As then if to say, like, this is what happens if you rely on that shitty Prime Directive defense. Yep. And then Picard's like, ah, son of a fucking bitch. Yep. <clears throat> hmm. All right. Well, I had it at a four. <laughs> but thinking of it in that way, I'm gonna. I'll move it all the way up to a six. Wow. TNG picking up some points. If only Enterprise could find a way to pick up points. All right. Let's swing. Let's swing into execution here. Okay. The um the Wesley side of this is a little weak. Yeah. It was def- It was the obvious B plot. The scene where Riker asks him what Picard would do and why people don't question his orders is a step in the right direction. But then his conflict wraps up way early. And in the end, he asks Riker if it ever gets any easier, and that suggests he didn't learn or grow very much. Well, he's like, hey, does it get easier than telling someone to do something and then they do it? And then they do it? Like, right away, without hesitation? No, it never gets any easier than that. Yeah, it's true, it doesn't. Uh, I think it is fundamentally a mistake that Data is the one who makes contact with this girl. Yeah, well, I think they... they... never once mention that he has no emotions. It does not come up in this episode. No. That Data doesn't have emotions. Yeah, and he offers says... no, nobody... no logical arguments that suggest that he's not caught up emotionally here. Yes. Nobody says to him, why are you being guided by this, uh, yeah. this sentimental notion? Like, you're a robot. You swore to, ad- uh, to adhere to the Prime Directive. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you, can't you should have robots. assimilated this into your programming long ago. Like, is the Enterprise computer going to rebel next? How many seasons until that happens? This episode makes perfect sense if Wesley is the one who makes contact with Sarjanka as part of his survey. Because then he's got to um, right. evaluate all of this shit. Because here's the thing. Everyone treats this as if they are considering the Prime Directive for the first time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is the first time they've had to make a tough call on the Prime Directive. Whereas, for most of them, probably isn't, right? Well, I wonder, okay. Or do they, are they work on authoritarian starships where Picard doesn't call little secret meetings well, to discuss it? what I was going to say. Maybe this is Jordy's first time having to actually make the decision. Maybe yeah, Jordy, maybe. He was a navigator last year. Yeah, he he's... did good in command. Now he gets invited to these meetings because he did pretty good in Arsenal of Freedom. Yeah, like maybe this is the first time he's been allowed to say his piece on it. Or even the first time he's actually had to sit back and think about it. Because the other times he just kind of sat around and went, I don't know, I wonder what they're going to do. You know, we don't talk about this, but Picard has a very young command staff. Yeah, Worf, Worf and Jordy and even Riker's, what, 30? Riker's Riker's thirty. He was first officer once before on a small on the hood, yeah. but the hood ferries admirals around. So yeah. I mean, thirty's pretty young for your XO, and uh, right. uh, Troy's in her twenties, and Worf and Geordi are in their twenties, and Data's a robot. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Data's, with that. Data's a robot. Everything's new for Data, despite <laughs> the fact that it shouldn't be. Yeah, everything. Wesley acting acting as in Wesley Crusher. But I think if Wesley was the one who was caught up, it would make a lot more sense. It's and, just like. How does it not come up that Data doesn't have emotions? Everyone just acts like he does in this one, the way he acts all the rest of the time. Maybe this maybe this was gonna we're giving them way too much credit. Maybe this was going to be the track they were going to take. Maybe they're gonna stop talking about his no emotions, but they don't yeah. do that. Um this actually is kind of the track that um uh that Crusher would have uh, Doctor Crusher would play. 
she's always big in on the we gotta save everybody angle. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if she would have, like, communicated with a little girl or whatever, but she would have been the one all in, kind of like Pulaski is, on saving uh, saving him. Saving her. Saving Sarjanka. Oh, yeah, for sure. This this makes a lot of sense with Dr. Crusher. Yeah. Uh, like, so, all right, so we've done, this is not the time for Theory Corner. That's right, yeah. Yeah, we can move on. Does Pulaski... F- <laughs> fundamentally does she even attempt this memory procedure because she's already she's in murder she's seen the murder and she's dealing with it yeah she because it it doesn't seem like it's good medicine i do wonder if her and o'brien really are just just in now like they've been forced in right but they're i think they're in in different ways i think o'brien is fine with it because the cardi's already beat him down that's true Sedlick three was a nightmare Sedlick three already ruined him and I think Pulaski is probably not going to... She's going to leave the ship because she doesn't like what she's becoming. Yeah, oh, for sure. This is going to be... She's got some wild shit coming up later. But for now, little stuff a, like this wiping this girl's memory out. This is a dark fucking period for her that we are in. By the way, they beam her down unconscious. She has no idea whether that procedure worked. No, they don't test it. Yeah. There you go. Um, I give it a four for execution. I think there's some problems with it. Okay. Um... I'm not sure this particular case was compelling enough to really sink your teeth into the, the whole Prime Directive, but I do enjoy all the side conversations and hypotheticals that they use to frame the argument. However, what is Data, and what should be done about him? <laughs> this is what troubles me the most about this whole episode, and always has. They seem to give him an insanely wide berth. And I don't think any other crewman would be allowed to get away with the shit that he does. It's it is almost, almost like they go, like... well, he's Data. Hey, do you remember when he took over the ship? Uh, he is just learning what it means to be human. Yeah. What? We have to really... Let's just steer clear uh, and, you know, let him work all this shit out. And it's like, no, 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 no. He's a robot with the strength of ten men, and he can um, use all our voices, and he knows everyone's command codes, and he just does whatever he wants. It's not as bad as I remembered it, because he doesn't... After he is ordered to maintain radio silence, he doesn't actually talk to Sarjenka again. No, he just does uh, a manipulative little shit. He just does the manipulative thing where he tunes into Radio Sarjenka. Yeah, but uh, DJ Sarge, he's he's really he really pushes in this one. Yeah, like he oh he wants to beam down and find her. Yes, at some point Picard should go. No, we're good. We're good now. We've done enough. But Dude, I just, think we've made all reasonable accommodations for your friend. We've already decided we're going to save her her planet. Yeah, that's the best we can do. Yeah, let's just take it easy on this shit. I mean, the first it's, time when it Data, is insane that Picard would be swayed by in for a penny, in for a pound. When Data comes to like, Picard, do you not understand why that's a saying? <laughs> it's right because maybe, it's a saying because you're not supposed to think that. Yeah, way. because maybe people have problems with that way of thinking. <laughs> Yeah, it's like if he went, might makes right, huh? And then he went, all right, we'll do it. I guess my guy gets it. Uh, <laughs> like, why would we know what that phrase is unless it's true? Um, but what I, my main problem is he comes to Picard on the holodeck. And his thing is, he goes, I've been talking to this girl from a, a pre-warp civilization for um, eight weeks. Eight weeks. For two months, I've been violating the Prime Directive. This is the first you're hearing about it. That is... I would have turned him off 
right there. Yep. You turn them off and you go, I don't know what we're going to do about them. Whoops, Let's you're malfunctioning. Then I have the, the team meeting in my quarters about what to do about data. It's like if uh, if assistant chief engineer saying, did he die in that episode? Yeah, oh yeah, he died. Okay. Let's say that Argyle shows up. Okay. We haven't seen him in a while. Right. Argyle shows up and tells Picard. Mm, I've been talking to this girl from a pre-warp civilization for two months. Mm. Picard says, go to jail. Yeah, right? you're in jail now, so enjoy jail. <laughs> go to a dungeon. I've heard it's bad. Uh, enjoy it. Hey, we're not supposed to do that, and you don't have the authority to make that decision unilaterally. Yeah, but for Data, they just go, huh, well, I guess we're going to have to think about mm. this. Talk about it. Let's all talk it out together. You know, his personal journey is very complicated. Ugh. It's a four in execution. Go to a dungeon. It's a four. I also have a four. Ben is a five on take. Okay. He says uh, high ideals versus basic humanity, doing what you know to be right, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Uh, he says it's one of the earlier looks at a true prime directive problem. He says there have been others. Justice is the most obvious one. Yeah. When he had to break their dang rules. Yep. Uh, but here there are some serious consequences. I guess it's true that a whole planet is going to die, not just that Wesley Crusher is going to be executed. Yes. The stakes are higher. The situation they run into in this one is like when Phlox ran into his situation or something, uh, and Phlox went, uh, you know. Yeah, their DNA says that they're, they're, they're going to die anyway. They should so. all die. Let's kill them all. They're, they're stagnating, and these other guys are destined to evolve into something great. So Let's kill these motherfuckers. It's kind of like that. <clears throat> but he gives it a seven in execution. Whoa! Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Uh, he thinks they're on the right side of the Prime Directive in this one. Okay. Which is important because we know they won't always be. Yeah. He says that the do-gooder impulse is so strong in the Federation that even the android knows what's really the right thing to do. I think that's a big storytelling problem, though. Yeah. Why is he the only one who does... Uh, he ain't got no emotions, remember? Yep. <laughs> he gave it a seven. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Like I, I, I've read through his his take, um, showing displaying humanity towards this little alien girl and her civilization, etc. You think it's just generally well done? It's listen. This is not the worst TNG episode that's ever been on the air. No, because the Royale was not that long ago. We saw the Royale pretty recently. <laughs> um, yeah, we gave the Royale. I gave it ten points, and you gave it twelve. So we're already TNG. we're already, we're already at that level. I've already given it ten, and you've already given it eleven. Yeah. All right. Um, world building. Um. First manned mission to Selkundi Drama sector, which is unusually volatile. Uh, yep. Do all junior officers get a chance to lead a team and get command experience, or is this a Wesley-specific thing? So, there's a thing happening here that is not... There's no detail to it. But all of these science boys that Wesley's working with yeah. are older than him. One of them's real old. Yep. And I think... We have seen in TN... They never explain it, and I just wish they would. Yeah. Again, the distinction between line officers and specialists. Yeah. Like, these science guys, I don't think they get to lead. I think, I think that's correct. I think they're guys who are here to do a job. They're here to do an astrometrics 
or something. Leadership is not one of those jobs. Right. They may not have even gone to the academy. They might be direct commissions, yeah. you know, like based on their Skills. weird PhDs that they probably all have. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly they're grooming Wesley for everything. To, to be a line officer. Yeah, because they basically, ever since the Traveler gave Picard his little chat. Well, the Traveler told him he was Mozart. Yeah, he's just like, I don't know, whatever we can have him do, just have him do everything. He's everything now. Now, we have seen, we did see in the past, that Picard likes his junior officers to learn, learn, learn. Yeah, when Worf was not an animal, yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and by the way, Worf... Uh, has reverted in this one. He's basically back to shouting that they need to abort the baby. Hey, theory so. corner real quick. Also barking at Data. Th- just real quick, theory corner. Did Worf take the promotion that he got uh, at, because of the death of Tashiara? Did that go to his head? Is that what happened? He was oh, the like, racist promotion that he got? Yeah, he was junior officer Worf, just kind of hanging out at the science stations or whatever. And he was—I guess it's not actually racism. He was constantly shouting for battle. Come to me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think he made it pretty clear he wanted to work in security. It's at very least, it's good uh, marketing on his part. He was always yeah, letting that's people true. know that he was ready for battle. Um, did he just take that promotion and be like, "Yeah, that's right, I'm the fucking toughest motherfucker there is," and now he's now he thinks he's hot shit. Is that why he's not Cool Wharf anymore? I don't know. I miss Cool Wharf. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, so junior officers, yes, Picard does like them to learn, 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 and I guess that's what they're doing for Wesley, but like, did Worf get to lead a bunch of teams? Did Jordy get to? How does this work? I know Jordy's actually run the ship, but that's because literally every senior officer beamed down to that planet. Yeah, that is true. I don't know. But Jordy did good with that. That's probably part of why he became the chief engineer, although, frankly, that was a bad promotion for him to take. He should have stayed on the bridge where it's all at. He should have stayed on the bridge where he they could have put him in command of the ship more. Yeah. Because like now they, now he's the weirdo in engineering who can't date. Yeah. It hasn't, we haven't really gotten there no, yet. No, but, but we will. Coming. We will learn it's that coming. it was a bad promotion that he should never have taken. He should not have taken it. Ruined all his mojo. I mean, he's the, he's the first one to make lieutenant commander, so that's good for him. But otherwise... Um, Picard's junior crew is underranked too for a ship the size of the Enterprise. Frankly, again, because they're all young as hell. Yeah. Uh, Traker deposits and icograms. Yep. The dilithium is responsible for breaking these dang old planets apart. Uh, can we talk about the high tech on Drama Four? Yeah, well, let's talk. Let's get into it because I mentioned it very briefly in my description. So when data beams down there, they got some doors that are like magic doors. The whole place is fucking carved out of stone. Yeah, but Data just puts his hand up and the door appears disappears. and disappears when yeah. he wants The door to. green screens in and out. I guess they were going to have to do a green screen there for the volcano anyway, so they're like, well, let's not build physical doors in front of the green screen. What? What is the purpose of that technology, and what else does it apply to? How did they get it? What kind of tech level are these people? Yeah, what's happening to the material in the door when he does that? Is it beaming to another location is it going up so fast we can't see it is, is it, it phasing out? is it a force field to begin with oh yeah is it like a force field that with like a hologram that makes it look like a wall right exactly it's super unclear but like that's some tech they got some tech on that planet yeah now, I that, guess. Sh- that shit frankly seems more sophisticated than warp drive w- the doors on the enterprise barely work yeah that's right they're not good they're not good like these doors for sure these doors are very good doors. They don't, like, Someday, in order for this to be the 
permanent door in that house. That door has to work when the power's out. Yeah, how does this work? That door has to work 100% of the time. Especially because... If it, like, glitches out and the fucking door disappears, do wild animals just run around in the house? Especially because in this case, I find it hard to believe they had power. Everything outside was a volcano. Yes. The rest of the planet, except for that building, was a volcano. Presumably 30 or 40 years ago when that house was built, everything wasn't a volcano. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, now everything's a volcano and that door still worked. So, clearly it has to work without any kind of infrastructure in whatever their settlements look like. When these people eventually get warp drive, hundreds of years in the future or whatever, is that where everyone's... They're going to be a real threat. Is that where everyone's going to go for their door tech? Everyone's going to go to these guys? I mean, fucking for sure, right? Like, it's... (laughs) These doors, if these doors work well enough to be the doors on a house, yeah, it's it's stupid that the Enterprise doesn't use these for their doors. Yeah, I mean, Data was down there. He ain't gonna take a look. He, he should have said scope that they shit have, out. they have wharf, wharf. They have doors like you would not believe. <laughs> you gotta, you actually, you guys gotta come down and check this out. We'll go down see, in secret in the middle of the night. We'll wear our dark turtlenecks you and we see will these doors. check out these fucking doors because you will not believe the shit that you are seeing. Meanwhile, her radio looks like the one he builds <laughs> in San Francisco in 1860. <laughs> yeah, the one where he's building a horseless carriage. I know what you're talking about. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me question what's going on with the rules about the Prime Directive. So I guess the rule is warp drive is when you can make contact. And the reason is that's going to make them bump into aliens. Yeah, I mean, Picard specifically asks her whether her people are aware that there is intelligent life in the universe. Yes. That seems to be, like, I think warp drive is the shortcut. It may be the thing that they can detect from far away. Yeah. Like, we know that's how the, the Vulcans detect yeah, yeah, they detect the warp Humans test going on. Is the warp test that goes on, and they meet the humans, and it seems to be like that's the good cutoff for them because once they've got warp drive, they're gonna meet people. Yeah, they're gonna bump into somebody. So we because the universe is fucking chock full of life, we learned that in TOS. Yeah, a couple weeks week, ago. Yeah. yeah um, so it's, it has nothing to do with your individual tech level so much as whether or not you have the ability to meet other aliens. I guess. Yeah, whether you're in co- regular contact with other aliens, and therefore we're past the point where we can pretend that your species is isolated and completely self-determining, right? Yeah. So these people must have all kinds of signals flying over their planet, talking to each other, right? Mm-hmm. Sarjanka did not invent the radio. On that planet. She's a no, whatever. No, but by the way, it doesn't seem like anyone else is on the fucking radio. Is well, she that planet's Marconi? This is what I'm trying to figure out. How does Data isolate this one signal and start chatting with this girl? Is he just, like, looking for someone to, like, uh, sext with? And he just is randomly well, tuning in? Like, there well, must be here's, broadcast signals all over that goddamn place. He don't tell people that he's from space. There's probably, like... 10,000 ham radio operators that are listening into their conversations. That's right. I just, I don't know. Everything about what was happening on that planet was confusing to me. Um, but their little their little scheme where they send each other postcards to indicate, oh yeah, someone here all the way on this part of the planet heard your radio transmission has been disrupted by the constant volcanic activity. Yeah, the fact that the planet's a volcano is making yeah. everything pretty tough. Uh, and my least favorite plot band-aid ever just wipe her memory oh yeah oh how this ability will be ignored in future (laughs) scenarios well you have to remember that this is mccoy's standard recovery technique Mm -hmm. 
for if your dad was a killer. Yeah, that's right. If she's going to be traumatized, and rather than have her face the fact that her dad was the butcher of whatever. All uh, psychiatry involves rebuilding the personality, so. It's, uh, uh, the world building's a two. I didn't like it. Yeah, no, uh, by the way, I also gave it a two. Okay. <laughs> um, Let's see if I had anything else that's worth talking about. Uh, they detect Ilium 629. Okay. That's how they know there's dilithium there. License to Ilium. Um, words five. have meaning, so it's fine that we don't yet have an element named Ilium, but for it to have the atomic weight of 629? Yeah. Uh, that's got to be a real, real high one. There's some suggestion that it's not even possible for elements that large to exist, but mm. just as a heads up, that's about the same atomic weight as an entire DNA base pair. Okay. So that those are huge molecules right. that weigh 629 atomic units. Well, atomic license, mass license units. to Ilium, that's definitely a possible episode title. Uh, Betazoid Kittens and Klingon Sarks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That's nothing, though. Those sure. are nothing. Sure, Betazoid, sure, sure. Betazoid Klingons are empathic. Betazoid kittens? Yeah, kittens are empathic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about Betazoid Klingons. Have we sure. met any of those yet? Not quite yet, no. Um, Betazoid kittens are empathic, and uh, Betazoids don't make good animal handlers because of it. Yeah, they get all uh, swept up in the motions yeah. of the animal. And the Klingons have a horse-like being called a Sark. Right. Okay. At least it's something you can ride. Yeah, I give it a two... Uh, ben checks in with a four. Um, let's see. Data cannot not know that the Prime Directive controls this type of communication. Yeah, exactly. He for sure knows. He only wants to confront them with it. Yep. He just goes, hey, uh, can you remind me again about the Prime Directive? What are the can you remember five weeks ago when we worked out that my whole legal situation was bullshit? <laughs> That's well, right. we got something I'm else to talk about. I'm kind of a protest guy now, right. and he, I found another bullshit one. Yeah. Um, let's see. He says acting instance still need to go to the academy and like need an internship to do it or something. Is that was that part of the discussion they were having? I don't know. He's, uh, he actually academy? hasn't. He actually hasn't actually passed the tests to get into the academy yet. We no, saw that he last gave year. All the answers to fucking Mordok or whatever. He did help Mordok get in there. How is that allowed? <sighs> Um, he made his decision. Uh, but I guess they... they... It's just weird that they're letting Mordok in, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, I think we talked about this at the time. In seventh grade, I told my friend Gary how to answer a math question, and I got kicked out of the class. And I, I initially went, but I didn't tell him the answer. I just told him how to do it. And then in my own, after I said the words, I went, oh, yeah, that's cheating. <laughs> I cheated. Sorry. Oh. Oh, yeah. Just kind of a brain fart there. Sorry about that. Oh, you know what? I hear it now. I'm going to go sit outside, I guess. (laughs) Let me know when the test is over. Uh, And before we swing through, he gave it a five for characterization. Uh, (laughs) He didn't like when Riker said these planets live fast and die hard. (laughs) I also also had the same note. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Uh, Pulaski accusing Worf of being rigid and cowardly. Yeah, it's kind of rough. Uh, let's see. Well, she didn't call him dishonorable, and that would have been most on the nose, so. He says he likes this facet of Picard, the one where you know none of this is going in the official logs. Well, again. Don't read them, who cares? Remember that Picard is connected. Yeah, he is. And part of being connected is 
getting away with shit like this. Oh, this shit gets buried until the crazy lady finds it all. That's right. It will come up. Yep. On the other hand, I gave it four points for characterization. So... I think that this scene in Picard's quarters does a good job of breaking up the crew. I liked that scene. Yeah, it's always good when they have to uh, go round and round on something. Uh, I liked seeing Picard and Riker working as a team on this one for the sneak around. Yes, and again, the small touches where he says, you know where we are on this, right? And Riker goes, what? And he gives a signal like, uh, we're, like we're in it up to our neck. We're in it up to here, and it fucking sucks. And then later on, he's like... And later Riker goes, where would you say we are now? And he goes, just noiselessly puts his hand above his head. <laughs> like, we're, we're fucked. We're double fucked. Uh, no, and speaking of nice touches, I love the scene where Riker and Data walk into the transporter room. Mm. Riker tells O'Brien to take a nap. And O'Brien immediately knows, oh, we're doing crime? I'm in. I'm in on the crime. I'll just go stand over here. Yeah. And then when Riker gets called over the bridge, O'Brien says, oh, I just woke up, sir. Yeah, he says, I'll be uh, standing over here dozing off. That's what yep. he says. Yeah. Um, But Data. Mm. But Data, though. Yeah. Yeah. Data is... Data's, inexcusable in this episode like i i if you could if you could transport so in in the scene in justice picard can't let wesley die yeah he can't do it what happened on that planet was bullshit and yes they have a prime directive but apparently it didn't stop them from beaming down and fucking all those people yep and so he can't just let Wesley die because of that. He's got other obligations, and he fucking hopes that the space god understands. He mainly that, that episode sucks. He mainly has obligations to uh, to crush her, I believe. Yeah, I've got this redhead, and she is already a ballbuster with a living son. Like I already killed her husband. And also, I killed her husband. It's gonna be so, tough if I have to kill her son too. <laughs> it's gonna. Oh, this breaks bad for me if I don't bring him back up there. Yeah, and. Uh, all I'm saying is, uh, Edo God, just be a bro on this one. You, I know you can hear me right now. Be a, be a bro. And we will leave, we will leave these people alone and we won't even come back and fuck them. We got another planet called Risa. That's right. That appears to be a brothel. So we're going to be cool. Please don't come and hover over Risa. So like, if you could jump into this situation where Data's lifelong friend, Sarjenka mm. is in trouble on her planet whatever and he and it's not also it's not data it's Worf. yeah and uh you're gonna do something about it and we have this prime directive conversation fine but the first conversation is a violation of the prime directive yep even if it's not it's got to be a violation of ship's policy like if you hear a radio signal you don't just answer it that's right yes there's procedures right uh, this hi, goes, this is this data in my quarters. The, this goes through the Hey, you've got data. Go for data. Yep. What can I do for you? Oh, yeah, I'll chat. Sure. Yeah, let's get real close. Uh, like, I'm 15 years old. I'm an android. Um, <laughs> Isn't he 27? I, I don't know how old he is. I don't know when he joined the academy or whatever. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, he just picks up the phone. He's ready to go. Yeah. But, but like... 
there's got to be a moment when he figures out that he is not talking. First of all, he's on an antique radio frequency. Mm-hmm. He's not talking to someone via subspace. There's got to be a... Oh, or is he? How is he able to communicate with this girl if he's not, by the way? They don't that doesn't make sense. They don't know. There's got to be a moment when he realizes he's doing a prime directive. Yeah. And he just keeps doing it. It's, and, al- it's almost like her first message was enough for him to be 100% all in on saving her life no matter what. Exactly. And that's the, that makes no sense. Yeah. So uh, I'm a four on characterization. It's Again, it's a writing problem, but most characterization problems are writing problems. That's 100% true. They wrote so, bad characterization. Yeah, they wrote bad characterization. <laughs> yeah, I felt the same way. I liked so much of what happened with many of the other characters. Yes. Um, that I originally had it. Like in my head, I was like, man, this is really fun. But data. Yeah, you're like, is such this a- is a 10 except for data. And then you're like, oh, yeah. but this data shit. He is, this is what the episode's about. He's a smoking crater, and it brings it down to a 5 for me. Yeah. Um, let's see. Riker must be reading the briefing studies these days um, because he has a lot to say about geology and the drama sector. Yep. <laughs> he's like trying to fucking school people on the bridge in the first scene. Well, by the way, it's clear that Picard has checked out on this whole mission. Yep. So. Uh, Riker's probably been picking up some slack. It, by the way, also weird that Picard's not into this weird geology. He's just, I think he was doing out. archaeology and planet orbits. It seems like geology's in his wheelhouse. You know, we talked about how the murder was probably burning out Pulaski. I think it burned him. Oh, out yeah. Too. That is true. I think he's tired. <laughs> he wants to go He's ride doing his horse. whole new hobbies. Like, after he's done an actual murder, Dixon Hill's not fun for him anymore. <laughs> That's right. He's not interested in shooting uh, Cyrus Redblock or something. Right. That's not fun. Now he just wants to ride a horse. <laughs> yep. Just make a connection. Uh, already talked about Riker still in full mojo. The shit he pulled on Troy last week gave him a real boost. He mounts that chair from behind when he uh, is talking to Wesley in 10 forward. Yeah, he does a Riker maneuver on uh, it. Pretty good. Mackin' on some blue uni chick. Uh, it's nice to be tall enough to be able to do that, by the way. It, I have to make a special effort to get over the chair. Yeah. Um, he gives all that dad advice to Wesley. I mean, this is season one Riker in season two. Yep. But all that shit about cosmic plans, though? Oh, I know. It's very bad. He's just and, like, but what about but, God, though, guys? You ever think of that? By the way, it's a little bit consistent because that's kind of the side he was on when they were like, what do we do about future Picard? How do we prevent this from happening? And he's kind of like, nothing you can do. Yeah, but that was a causality issue, and this seems to be like a weird... Yeah, but he's still co- coming down on, well, it's, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Yes. Um, and again, I loved his, come on, Data, when Data wanted yeah, that to be down. Uh, and obviously, like, we already talked about the thing where they were talking about where they are now, up to here. Um, yep. Picard loves riding horses. Um, he speaks of uh, mutual need that he and the animal share and calls the horse beautiful. Hello, beautiful. I guess he doesn't see, like, the Enterprise computer in this way. But maybe Data? Does he hmm. think Data is like an ancient war horse? He sees the mutual need. Hmm. But he doesn't see him as a person. That much we know. Oh, it's absolutely clear that he doesn't see him as a person. Despite this, all that it comes up, oh, Data did. calls him on it about 50 times throughout yeah. the series. So maybe he just sees well, he him did it in He did it in uh, Measure of a Man. It's going to come up real good in, I never remember which one, let's say... Unification. Unification part, 2? Not Unification. Redemption Part 2. Re- Redemption 2. Yeah. Not Unification, um, that's the one that takes place on Vulcan. Um, and oh, as Romulus. we've already talked about in this episode, he lets Data get away with behavior that 
uh, he would never let anyone else get away with. So he clearly sees him as different. Um, what the fuck is this? Uh, what is he going on about in this weird staff meeting about Wesley? First, he compares Wesley to a horse being broken in too soon, and then he compares him to a sword being forged and tempered. Yep. He doesn't like know about people, does he? He has well, nothing to compare Wesley to except for horses and swords. Again, we know that he is a virgin. That's true. He's he, lacks- he, was, he is so afraid of women that he horse laughs at Crusher and he ran away from Paris yep. uh, when it didn't meet Janice Mannheim. Thank that wasn't her name then, her but name. I don't remember what her name was. That's I don't fine. know if they said her maiden name. It's good that you remember it even that much because I did not remember her name. Um, it's, yeah, he lacks certain He doesn't like kids on the bridge. He needs Riker to help him deal with kids. Uh, he's not good with people. No, not at all. Why is Spiner smiling when Wesley gets up to go into the conference room? What is this robot up to? <laughs> oh, that's right, because they call him in there and it's like, all right, it's your big... Yeah, we're doing a big thing for you, and I'm the robot who knows that this is happening. <laughs> I, guess I was not invited to this conference room, but I do know that it's going to be good for you. I guess he's supposed to be giving that part away, but I was just sitting there going, "What the fuck is he doing?" Yeah, well, this is the episode where Data has emotions, and no one pretends he doesn't. So, yeah. as we talked about, didn't say anything about it for eight weeks, which is an insane timeline. Uh, they've been flying out here doing studies. The first manned mission out here ever, and he never said a fucking word. Please turn him off. Um, who knows what secrets he's keeping? Seriously. He didn't say anything about breaking the Prime Directive for eight weeks. He could be up to yeah. any single thing. I hope there's never an episode about trying to get Data to divulge a secret. <laughs> uh, Worf doesn't like a messy workspace, and maybe also doesn't have a ton of respect for Data in general. Yeah. It's weird because Data is uh, two ranks higher than him and the ship's second officer. Yeah. But he is going to be real grouchy with him. And I believe that in, uh, you, uh, no, you keep getting all the two-parters mixed up. I believe that in Best of Both Worlds, Part 2, Worf probably <laughs> really thinks he deserved that promotion to First Officer over Shelby and Data. How about in Gambit, Part 2? Oh, boy, he really does dick with Data in that episode. When he is so insubordinate that Data calls him on the carpet and, and, and then apologizes for having potentially ended their friendship. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on between those two. Um, yeah, so Data, yikes. Uh, Worf, uh, oh, sorry, I was talking about Worf. Worf comes in hot with this Prime Directive take, too. He's, oh, yeah. like, he's ready to have this conversation. Uh, Pulaski comes in hotter, straight calls him a coward. Um, Jordy also takes to speaking freely and asks Riker to consider his proposal considered and rejected. Boom. <laughs> Not only that, it's, okay, so it's weird, it's a quick hitter's territory. Jordy does my favorite thing in this whole episode, which is he goes over and gets a fucking sandwich. Yes. And then the conversation ends 40 seconds later. <laughs> and then he's got and he's got to eat his sandwich in Picard's quarters. He can't just walk around with it. He can't leave. He's got to sit there. Well, I mean, what do, you, do you take the plate? It's all coming out of the same replicator, does but he, like... Does he bother saying to Picard? I thought I thought we were going to be here long. Time. I thought this or was going to go on a lot. You put out sandwiches. I thought it was rude that no one was eating a sandwich. Also, I was hungry. Or does he sit and eat in silence and they just kind of look at each other? Yep. <laughs> uh, I just I love that they. And by the way, again, small touches, actor. small touches, right? Yeah. This is an unofficial scene. 
Yeah. It's it, this meeting is in Picard's quarters. Who knows how long it's going to take? Yep. Picard replicated some sandwiches. Yep. They, but it gives Jordy something. To, he gets to stand up and walk over and grab a sandwich while they're talking. And because he's an actor, unlike Marina Sirtis, he can do a walk and talk and even That's a right. sandwich and talk. That's right. But it just it makes this feel real. Whereas well, we just talked about Voyager. This same scene was everybody crowded into that conference room. Seemed like too many people in there trying to discuss whether to follow Janeway's orders or not. Yep, and again... Like, everybody's no sitting too ever... close to Tuvok at the head of the table. It's just not right. As I discussed many episodes ago, no one ever comes out of one of those Voyager staff meetings finishing the conversation they had going in and saying, fart salad, and laughing. <laughs> They're just going, fart salad. <laughs> Everyone is always so serious coming in and out of those meetings. Yeah. Uh, Wesley, worried about working with people older than him, but it must have occurred to him when he got the assignment there was no other possibility. Yeah, he is the, I mean... He's 16 or something. He could have put together a crack team of all those kids the Aldeans tried to steal. <laughs> He's got Harry Jr. over here. We got the weird little redhead girl. She's fucking All right, creepy. I need a sculptor. Give me a musician. <laughs> I want them all. This team's going to be the best in town. Uh, let's see. He has issues with keeping the people under his command in line. Uh, hey, Davies. It's the kid's first time running the show, and he doesn't want to miss anything. So just run the fucking Icogram. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Yeah, okay, it might life. be a waste of your time. You've been doing this study for six weeks. Yeah, you got time, bro. The shit's going to take four hours to set up, I think, was the, the thing. Yeah, there. that's right. Just, just fucking, like... Like, in real what? life, I would be like, oh, I get it. The kid, he wants to make a good impression. So we're just What, are you going it. on vacation? You're out. You're the first man ship in this sector. You're going to be here a while. Yeah. Do the thing. Uh, TNG O'Brien, always great. Um, though he does blow it by calling Sarjanka that. Yeah! This is, is this the beginning of racist O'Brien? Yeah, I wrote, of course she doesn't want to be left with O'Brien after he refers to her as that. <laughs> Are you taking that? It was like, oh, oh no. Uh, so yeah, overall great work, but Data was just... Uh, he's the worst character and Spiner's the worst actor, so it's just... It's not good. Uh, but I'm sorry, you gave it five? Yeah, five. Okay. Because of all the good stuff that happened. Yes, in I liked uh, the other characters. Uh, let's see. I already said Ben was a five. Ben has a uh, quick hitters. Wrecker's date has one a one line, which is ooh. Mm. Do you think she was psyched to be on TNG or said that that was it? Yeah. Um, but you must have some quick hitters because this is pen pals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in this one, my longest section was the characterization, but I have a few. Did well, Patrick that's where St- most of the wackiness is in this one. D- did Patrick Stewart not want to ride that horse? Because they managed to interrupt him just as he was about to step up onto that animal. He wasn't insured to ride the horse. Ah, I see. Okay. This isn't like the fancy movies where they got all the insurance they need, and he and uh, Kirk are riding horses all over the And also there are William Shatner's horses that he rented to the production. Oh, that's right. Uh, they probably want us to think that Davies is a dick for offering to take over if Wesley um, feels like he's in over his head. But I sort of read it as, scientist sees a 16-year-old taking on a big project, wants to help, but isn't good enough with people to offer it in a way that will make Wesley feel secure. Right, he's a scientist who doesn't have leadership experience here in Starfleet, so he's doing a bad job at it. Yeah. Also, the uh, the easy resolution where he says, okay, at the end, yeah. is suggests that he's not a dick at all. It's almost like we're getting a little bit of Wesley's point of view of how that interaction went. Although, Star Trek usually doesn't do complicated filmmaking techniques like that. No, they usually don't. 
We're not we're not getting filtered through Wesley's lens. Um, I have a question. Yeah. They shoot those torpedoes down, right? Mm-hmm. And they blast up all that dilithium. <laughs> yeah, they break it all up with the resonances. Doesn't it look like that planet is beyond repair at this point? Like, even if it ends all the quakes and volcanoes and shit, isn't it just big lava now? Like, the damage has been done, right? It's uninhabitable forever, right? Mm, I mean, it wasn't. the air wasn't bad enough to kill Sarjenka. Presumably there are other people alive. Uh, the plants are all burned up, but a lot of stuff comes back after a fire. But, but, but it's, it didn't look, look like the, the planet's planet going to suck. The planet's going to suck for a long time, for sure. It appeared the whole planet was a volcano. But it could probably still sustain life. All right. Well, I, I sort of would have been like, we should definitely try to save them, except we're too late. Because it really like, looks like we're too late. It's definitely a possibility that uh, of the two million people who survived that the volcanoes, yeah. another 800,000 are going to die from famine. Yeah. I think that's a reasonable assumption to make. Maybe even Sarjenka. It looked... Uh, Although, she's got a fancy door. <laughs> Maybe she's pretty high class. Maybe she's a rich She girl. might be high status. Yeah. Hard to tell. Anyway, I wouldn't have bothered. That would, that would have been my <laughs> excuse for following the Prime Directive. I would have gone, you yeah, would have showed up late. and looked at that planet and gone, I mean... If we'd gotten here like 50 years ago, maybe. Realistically, what are we going to do? Yeah. Uh, that's all I had. Uh, we see the return of Paranoid Worf here, who instantly thinks an unknown intelligence has destroyed a planet. <laughs> it's always possible, according to Klingon legend. Um, they run some real blasphemous holodeck programs. Yes, they do. Uh, let's see. Uh, I want that jacket Picard's got. His riding jacket? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. yep. I 100% forgot that the B-plot to this episode was Wesley learning to lead adults. Oh, really? I always yeah. associate I got, these two. I got news radiated on this one. I knew that that was a plot that came up at some point. I forgot what the B-plot of this episode was entirely. Mm. When, um, when Wesley gets some initial leadership advice from uh, Riker and Troy, where are they going? Walking together in the hallway, having a good old laugh. All of a sudden, he shows up. That's a good question. I think she might be um, affected by last week. I think so. I think they might be working on some things together. I wish when uh, Riker announces that he's made his decision and he's going to have Davies run the Icogram in 10 forward, Riker said, I don't care. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's great. Kid. I gave you the command advice. I don't care about the actual Icogram. Yeah, I'm on a date. Yeah. So good. Good job. Yeah, I give best actor in this one to O'Brien. Riker would have been my number two choice, and then Jordy number three. They all do some. There's some good naturalistic stuff in this one. Yeah, it's kind of a lot of a lot of people to choose from for best actor. Worst actor, Worf. What are we doing? Yeah, he's Worf? really animal Worf now. I don't know what to say. It's bad, and the sad thing is, he only gets worse over time. Yeah, it's, he's <laughs> he's not going to get better. Like. It's sad to think Worf we had one good season of Worf. That's tough. Worf is not the Zhang Fei of TNG. No. There's no sweeping arcs. It's no. just now he's an idiot. That's it. Uh, let's see. Last week, uh, TOS came in third. Yeah. So if you're ready to move on, this week we watched Friday's Child. Let's do it. I saw this thing ages ago, and I 
definitely tuned out during it, so I'm going <laughs> straight to the Wikipedia. Uh, Enterprise arrives at Capella Ford to negotiate a mining contract for topoline, a valuable mineral. The Capellans yeah. are violent and warlike, but scrupulously honest. Kirk beams down to the planet with McCoy, Spock, and a security officer. They find that Crass, a Vulcan emissary, is already... Sorry, a Klingon emissary. Klingon emissary. I just read that wrong. Is already present. The Capellans... Also, they never say his name in the episode, but it is Crass. It's Crass. It's Crass in the same way that it's Darian Wallace. Some Someone somewhere knows his name. It was even in the credits on this one, so you gotta give him credit for it. Like, they list him in the end credits as Crass. Uh, and this is bad, because they're at, like, super war with the Klingons. They don't talk about it a lot for a giant space war. They're not at war, because they... they have an enforced peace. But every time they see them, they are, like, ready to shoot on sight. They are at Cold War with oh, the Klingons. Oh, it seems really hot. but um... It's pretty close. So anyway, uh, the security guy sees this Klingon, and uh, he pulls out his weapon, and he gets he done gets killed. Um, because the Capellans and the Klingons have already been hanging out together. Yep. Uh, the Capellans order Kirk and his party to hand over their weapons, and uh, despite killing Kirk's security escort for drawing a weapon, uh, they treat them as honored guests, because these are some weird old dudes. The Capellans' leader, Akar, is that, is that how we're pronouncing that? Yeah, Akar or something. <laughs> Akar favors favors the Federation's offer over that of the Klingons. However, another Capellan named Ma Maab Maab challenges his leadership. Fighting breaks out among the Capellans, and Maab kills Akar, winning the title of Tyr for himself. I guess he's that's like High Chief or something. Yep. He orders the death of Eline, Akar's pregnant wife. Uh, Kirk and McCoy intervene and manage to escape with her and Spock into some nearby hills. And this is where I tuned out because they were in the hills for like half an hour. Yep. She's got a baby in her. Yeah, she is preggers. It's the it's the old high, high tears baby. Mm -hmm. She hates the baby, we are told. She really does not need it anymore that the, the, the dude is dead. She expects to die as the wife of the previous high tier. But... Uh, McCoy is not willing to give up on this baby or her. No, and he slaps her in the face. <laughs> I was going to say what I remember is McCoy slaps the shit out of her, and then she's in love with him, <laughs> uh, and she won't let anyone else touch her, just McCoy, because he beats her up just the right way. Also, just like uh, how Matt hasn't remembered how any of their names are pronounced, <laughs> she can't figure out McCoy. She calls him McCoy Mac over and over again. Uh, anyway, they're getting chased by these bad Capellans and the Klingon guy uh, through these hills for just like a super long time, and they keep. And uh, the hills are Vasquez Rocks again. It's, once again, Vasquez Rocks, and once again is a set that is meant uh, for booby traps. They use lots of tra traps uh, on these guys. Um, they uh, they eventually win her cooperation uh, again by slapping her around. <sighs> Uh, let's see. She, oh, she goes into labor at some point, and um, McCoy tells her that in order to have the baby, she has to keep repeating the words, the child is mine. That's science. <laughs> he, he tells her she has to want the child. Yeah, if you don't want the child, you can't, then the child won't come out or whatever. Uh, anyway. Someone should someone should tell that to all of the girls giving birth in a dumpster on prom or whatever. <laughs> That's right. She misinterprets this, thinking McCoy is claiming the child as his own, so they can have some some hilarious times 
where she's going, yes, it's your child, and then he's going, no! I'm saying it's... This wasn't very good. Um, the, she delivers the baby, but Kirk is unable to reach Enterprise using their communicators because the starship has been drawn away by false distress call. Because what's been going on up there is uh, Scotty has been chasing around some fake-ass freighters in distress. Yep. Um, that the Klingons used to lure them away from the planet. He gets fooled, but he is not embarrassed about it. No, he's like, ha I was fooled just like I thought I might have been. Tricky Klingons. <laughs> they got me again, but I'm not We'll worried. stay here long enough to make sure I was fooled. <laughs> That's right. Uh, let's see. Uh, Aline escapes to surrender to Moab, uh, claiming that she killed the humans. When Crass questions her story... Uh, he pulls out a Federation phaser that he had retrieved earlier and threatens everyone. Moab sacrifices himself to draw Crass's fire, and a Capellan warrior kills the Klingon. Is that what happened? Yep. Okay, I don't I can't really remember. At this point, a team from the <laughs> Enterprise appears and prevents further violence. Back on the Enterprise, it is revealed that Aline, acting as her son's regent, has authorized the mining agreement with the Federation, and that the child has been named Leonard James Akar. Yeah. Spock uh, gets all pissy about the fact that his name wasn't included. But he wasn't really in this episode, despite being, like, there the whole time. He was down on the planet the whole time. It's just nothing really came of it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I probably left a bunch of stuff out, but what was the thing about? Uh, Heavy is the head that wears the crown? There's barely any evidence that that's what they were going for, but I have literally nothing else. At least at one point, Mob says that perhaps to be Tear is to see things differently. And also he has to sacrifice himself. Right. To defeat Crass. I mean, otherwise, like, it's hard to tell what else it could have been about. Um, that's a three-point take for me, because I don't care. It's not applicable. That's right, N.A. Uh, I had Hey, Remember the Cold War. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had... But this is the worst of the Cold War episodes, frankly. Yeah, then I had, but really, I guess what they're saying is, if your side is right, then what really matters is your allies win this proxy war. Because the Federation don't really act like they shouldn't be getting their hands dirty in this. Nope. They are there to negotiate for the minerals. They hate the Klingons. They want the side that likes them to win very much. And they're under threat of death the whole time, so we can't blame them. So it was kind of like they were saying, look, uh, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys, so our side needs to win the proxy war. Which is a very 60s take. Mm-hmm. Because that was the take that America had. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's not the place of science fiction to prop up the conventional wisdom. Which is why I gave it a one. I felt like they made the Federation just be in there, like, yeah, no, we gotta let, we gotta kill the bad Capellans and keep the good Capellans because uh, we don't like the Klingons. Yeah, they haven't landed on the Prime Directive yet. Um, every time we see the Cold War, they violate it, yes. and that, that's because they want to talk about Vietnam. Right? This is specifically, they want to talk about these proxy wars and the way the Cold War was playing out, and you cannot fundamentally have a Prime Directive Federation. Yeah. Because then they would not be involved in it. Or it doesn't make any sense. Like, you can't have the Federation acting against just the proxy. Yeah, so so you need them to behave this way, but it does mean that we have to imagine that a lot has changed between Kirk's time and Picard's time. Oh yeah, for sure. Because... There is no way that the Capellans could agree to an... Like, there's no possibility of an equal treaty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Between these cavemen and the Federation for this mineral. 
that the cavemen have no way of utilizing. Right. Like, there's no fair treaty that can be had. So even if the Federation got their way, if the Klingons hadn't been down there and they'd just done a regular negotiation, mm-hmm. it's a bullshit treaty to begin with. You're like, hey, we're going to give you these blankets. Yeah. And you give us these uh, these rocks that are meaningless to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Federation is not guilty of good behavior in this one, for sure. Yeah. Although, because... Uh, because Crass is a real... Like, these are the conniving Klingons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to be on their side about it. Oh, uh, no, I'm not. I'm uh, Again, I think that what we've come to expect from the Federation is that they would just be above this shit. Yeah. And they would not be doing anything with these Capellans. Um, in execution, uh, the Cold War parallel is obvious and maybe even as well done as you can expect in an hour long episode in terms of like setting up the sides and the proxy sides and everything like that and and making it feel like what's happening in real life I don't mean the the premise I said or the result just the depiction of two sides fighting over less advanced allies yeah um these days you'd probably be better served doing this kind of thing as like a season long arc or maybe as like a full series Mm-hmm. Although this is the second bite at this because we saw, the, except that it was all convoluted in the first one because the primitive aliens turned out to have crazy mental powers. Yeah. And they couldn't be harmed. Yes, in the first one where they were like, why don't you just like, leave? We don't need your help. Come back in four centuries. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just, anyway, the Cold War that all these shows are based on, all these episodes are based on, were real slow burns. And uh, in this one, Kirk shows up and the battle lines are drawn on the planet within minutes. Like, right after he gets there, they just start murdering each other down on that We planet. get another, by the way, smash cut into the huge battle. Yes, not quite as bad as the time that we jo- we joined Kirk in, in the middle of a fight in the whole fucking corridor. Like, about to be stabbed. Yeah. Uh... Still, the whole proxy war thing is probably useful to the average 1960s viewer. Um, however, they actually really do appear to be in open conflict with the Klingons. Just based on the fact that they are ready to shoot on sight, that they're chasing each other around up there in the sky, I think Scotty absolutely would have blasted them if he'd found them up there. Although they were doing their best not to be found. Yes. Well, I, I always assumed they just, maybe they weren't a match for the Enterprise or something. That's why they were using the tricks. Um, so, and the only, and couple, only a couple of things, right? Crass says, I'm aware of no state of war between our peoples. Mm. And also, he's showing off for the uh, Capellans, of course, but he does say, or do you men have, have orders to kill any Klingon on sight? But they do. <laughs> but <laughs> it seems like they, they do. don't. Kirk's defense is that he was young and inexperienced. Um, and the Klingons in Starfleet don't need these less advanced species, and they would likely just take whatever they want, right? Like, they don't need to have this, um, they don't need to have this proxy war. Right? Couldn't the the Klingons just take those crystals? I think the only thing is that the Klingons maybe don't want to have to do the mining, or whatever. Oh, they want them to knock, knock it around down there without them. Okay. Right. Like, if they can come in and sign a quick treaty and just turn it into some kind of tribute that these people get then then that'd be easier for them but yeah i presume that they could just uh, take it and probably would just take it by force if the federation weren't there yeah 
finally, I don't think we really get to a place where we feel sorry for these people for being caught in the middle. We see all the nope. bad guys get got, and then the Fed's side takes over again. So it's like... We don't have to worry about the struggle. And um, I spent half an hour in those dang mountains, and I can't say this enough. I had serious difficulty paying attention. It's like, um, remember the one where they had to all report to the execution area because the computer said they got hit? And then they spent, like, 28 minutes escaping from their... Yes. From their cell. They escaped, like, three separate times. And it was just like, man, they didn't write a whole episode. They wrote one line that said, then they tried to escape, and they went, oh, that's going to have to last for half the episode. That's what this was, this whole hill chase. Um, I give it a three. Uh, I liked it even less than you. I gave it two. Okay. This starts out um, with the Cold War analogy, but the entire second half is just, are they going to be discovered? What's up with this baby, etc.? Yeah. Like, and they rush through. It doesn't make any sense because they spend so much time in the mountains, but they jump cut into the big power struggle. Yeah. Then they have a captain's log entry that says that they've learned that Elian hates the child she's carrying. Yeah. Um, obviously there's the, uh, wonderful misogyny. He slaps her in the face. She becomes compliant. Uh, Kirk asks how she, why she's so compliant now. And he says he gave her a right cross and that he's considering adding it to his, uh, standard method. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm going to keep hitting women. Good laugh. Uh, the whole episode is just a mess. It's a mess. Mm-hmm. It's not, this is not one of the better TOS episodes by any stretch. Uh, I gave it a two. Yeah, we are in agreement. Ben is a four on take, saying eventually honorable behavior triumphs over tricks, because the Klingon is sneaky. Mm-hmm. Although, Mom Kirk uses plenty of tricks. Kirk does tricks. Yeah. Yeah. Scotty recognizes a trick by the Klingons and returns in the nick of time, yeah, etc. Yeah, I mean, I guess if it's honorable to make bows and arrows, which these people have never developed, <laughs> they have no bow and arrow in yep. their culture. And we're going to introduce it to them by having Kirk and Spock stand up behind rocks and shoot arrows at them. Ineffectively, <laughs> it turns out, but well, they're not. That's his plan: Sam. is to introduce a whole new weapon into the ecosystem. Kirk is the Shuke Leong of that planet. That's the honorable behavior, I guess. Yeah. Execution. He gives it a four. Uh, everybody is supposed to be seven feet tall, but the casting process they did for that didn't work. They actually also. Um, wore very tall shoes <laughs> whatever it takes yeah what is the klingon offering in trade what did the federation offer in trade what did these guys need that they didn't already have he wanted more more information about that would have been what great. the plan was what was the plan would have been great what was the plan if we could knock 10 minutes off the hill scenes that would have been yeah. nice yeah uh he liked that the kingship changed twice in an episode and there was some political meat to it but he wanted more i think All right, what do you think of the uh, uh, world building? This is just a little. There's just a couple of things here. Okay. Um, we see some stuff about standard search patterns. We know freighters go about warp two. There's a lot of business with routine check-ins being missed. Scotty refers to those plastic things as microtapes. <laughs> yep. Um for some reason, McCoy's medical kit contains fire starters. 
uh, for and medical then some purposes. S- some stuff about mineral resources and uh, then all these unequal treaties. Uh, I gave it the standard three for world building. I agreed. I gave it three. Uh, Capellans are huge ass fuckers with primitive weaponry. They're unusually honest, but have many uh, obscure taboos. Um, Scotty in command and Klingons spotted in the sector. Klingons are so feared or hated that this security guy loses his shit and goes for his gun the moment he sees one. Topoline, another rare and crucial mineral to the Federation. Turns out natural resources are still the main geopolitical issue in the 23rd century and beyond. Uh... The Klingons are okay with trading weapons and tech for Topoline. I think they gave a throwaway line about that. Yep. Um, which, obviously, they also need the Topoline. The Capellans consider combat more pleasurable than love. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we all know, if you don't want the baby, you can't give birth. You have to want the baby and say it out loud again. This is known. It's a three. <laughs> Only as much as a three, because... It's, it still lays out the the politics and economy of the 23rd century. Right. How did you feel they did characterization-wise? Uh, Scotty is so confident in his ability to handle the Klingons, he doesn't even attempt contact with the landing party when he believes he sees one shadowing them. <laughs> he just yep. goes off and chases them around. <laughs> but he's sort of a Halsey in this one. He does kind of Halsey it up in this one. He gets drawn out pretty far. Um, Kirk feels bad he bit Bones' head off. He never seems Ma- to... F- Ma- sorry, Matt's referring to Halsey at Leyte, not Halsey with his typhoons or... No. Th- throwing his hat or whatever. Stomping yeah. on his hat. Just um, that he got baited. He got baited good. Uh, Kirk Kirk feels bad he bit Bones' head off. He never seems to feel that way about Uhura. No. <laughs> I, I was insulted when he apologized to Bones. Well, I was like, what the McCoy fuck? Well, is a doctor. Uhura is... Uh, just in the service, right? Mm. Maybe he expects more of her. He's always being mean to her. He is pretty mean to her. As usual, Kirk and Spock are doing some non-verbal communication. They silently agree that McCoy healing this woman's arm is their next big opportunity to escape. Uh, Bones is a dang old expert in dealing with the Capellans. He spent months on this planet years ago. Then I have written here, red letter media voice. Oh... McCoy, yep. McCoy slapped the pregnant lady, and she liked it. Oh, it's um, bad. He's very easy to goad. He's like, I don't have the equipment I need to deliver this baby. And Kirk just says, Well, you don't think you can handle it? And then he's like, Nah, never mind. I'm totally going to deliver this baby. <laughs> uh, Chekhov is back to claiming things were invented um, in Russia. At least he didn't break down and cry this week. Spock is mad the baby wasn't named after him. Uh, all in all, I thought it was just on the low side of average. I gave it a four. I also checked in with a hot four on this one. Um, still in step. Kirk is pretty ineffective down here. He gets pushed around. McCoy steals the show with the natives. Yeah. Even his bow and arrow plan accomplishes exactly dick. But he did invent that bow and arrow. Yeah. Spock is a little less wry and a little more frustrated in this one than usual. McCoy, probably the same everything reason. You, He's probably sick of seeing McCoy doing well. Everything you said about McCoy in this one. Yeah. Scotty's a little slow on the Klingon ploy. Nobody really shines. It's just a four. Yeah. Like they make it out of this one, but you know, they the Klingon do. overplays his hand. That's yeah. all. Yep. Uh, quick hitters. I'm into their wild ass outfits. 
the Capellans. Yeah, they looked yeah. pretty neat. They had some cool Into head it. stuff going on, too. Yeah. I always enjoy Scotty in command. He's not uh, like a prodigy in this one, but he still has a real cool head. Yeah, he does not get worked up at all. It is the exact opposite. Like you said earlier, he's like, I did get tricked. Let's, I was tricked, though. Let's hang around and make sure. <laughs> I lost the part of my brain that allows anger, unless it's related to seeing a woman That's getting right. mistreated. If it's a woman that I'm into, she uh, has to irrationally come under my protection. Yeah. Uh, Sulu's back? Yeah, I'd, he had, he, well, his mom died finally. That's why he went home, because his mom turned 100, but then she died. Yep. And he's got a cool new toy, a noisy, slow-moving scanner that rises out of his console. <laughs> it's worse than a pop-up headlight. I don't even know if he's been properly trained on that thing. I think it was installed while he was away. How could a culture develop without the bow and arrow? Mm, yeah, this it, is... It developed everywhere on Earth. This is even the... in very isolated populations. This is the part I always have questions about. I don't really know the way it would work, so... So here's theory corner on this. Okay. What if it's because these guys have poor vision and they're strong, so they can throw accurately as far as they can see? Then they wouldn't need the... Uh, then the bow and arrow wouldn't give them anything. If you can't see well enough to shoot farther than you can throw, we know they have these throwing weapons, yeah. then what, what good is it? Yeah. I mean, I always wonder this whenever they show someone who's, like, in a pre-warp civilization and it looks like the medieval times or something. Yep. And I go, okay, so why does it always work exactly the same way? Like, they they had, like, a Leonardo da Vinci? Like, why? Why is it exactly... Why, <laughs> why is everything exactly the same? Oh, look, they got sailboats that look just like our sailboats. And you just yep. go, this isn't really... Is this how it would work? Um, in this case, they didn't have the bow and arrow. I don't know how big a change that is. But um, it is, you're right, there must be some reason it did not develop on their planet. Yeah. Because it's just that, I mean, these people are human. Like Yes, they are essentially the, big old humans. You, you could say, uh, you know, their joints and their shoulders and elbows work differently. Oh, yeah, that'd be a good one. And the, so they can't draw a bowstring yeah. or something like it's that, It's an right? unnatural motion form. It's like uh, yeah. pitching. But, you know, they do something after they have a kind of a spear thrower instead. They have like an addle that they use for that same purpose, right? But, yeah, but even still, wouldn't you think if you could rig up something like that, um, get some tension on that bow, even if you weren't shooting it farther than you could see, wouldn't you shoot it faster than you could throw it? Because you'd still be using your big muscly arms. Just build a big old bow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you could still still a force multiplier. But if you can kill... So let's say that there's no megafauna. These are the biggest people on the planet. Ain't no dang mastodons or whatever. There's no mastodons or nothing. Okay. They can already throw those little three three blade knives fast enough to kill each other. Right. They no, don't I, seem to have armor. It's as good a reason as any. Is that they just yeah. didn't need it? It didn't do anything for them. I, I think it's if you're going to propose that something did not evolve on a planet, you have to explain why they didn't need it that as would, much as anything. Right. That would be nice. If they uh, by the way, Ben's a three on world building. Oh, yeah. He also thinks it's inconceivable that they never developed the bow or spear. Do we not see them with any spears? How can you not develop a spear? spear is just a that one I really thing. don't believe. That's, just That's a, a stick. That's a pointy thing. Like They yeah. can't help but invent that. If you have swords, you have spears. That's right. 
Uh, he says he believes given time, any single human would come up with a spear, let alone generations of development. I think that's true. I think any, any person given enough time in the wilderness or whatever would go, ah, oh, this long pointy stick is very useful. Oh, I don't have to get so close to things. Yeah, and it's really sharp, too. It's really cool. Sometimes things are dangerous. This way I don't have to get that close. Yeah, it's a good point. You wouldn't need generations for that. Um, but he gave it a 7 for characterization, by the way. What did he like about it? Does he have good notes? Because sometimes he'll give uh, a good score and then give bad notes. Well, it does start with what the fuck Kirk is blaming McCoy for the hothead getting killed. Because it wasn't in the briefing. <laughs> right. Um, well, then he walked it back, though. Yeah. Oh, he says, wait, this is actually good characterization. So he's doing this in real time like we do sometimes. Oh, I see. He's human, but is self-aware enough to apologize um, like a good guy. Okay. He liked that he apologized, it sounds like. And I guess he thought that the misogyny was just, it was so over the top, it was funny in this one. Yeah, well, that's probably what they thought in the 60s. <laughs> uh, did you have any other uh, hitters? Uh, I did, I did, uh, no, I'm done, I'm done. The, the, the whole episode is a huge prime directive violation. Yes. So. Uh, let's see, I believe Stunt Kirk had some big sideburns in this one. Which gave him <laughs> the, the, the Klingon stunt double was very obvious too in the <laughs> one scene where he takes that knife. Yeah, and then yeah, only McCoy can touch this lady, bro. That's yeah, it. that's it. That's, that's the rules. I gave best actor to Akar. Okay, he he was the least giant of the people, and also seemed like the one who could read the best. So I think they just he was a featured role, so they made a took a uh, whoever the biggest real actor they could find was for him. Did that guy even bother wearing a headdress? I don't remember. Nah, he was the king. So he just wore whatever he wanted. He was like he the Centauri Emperor. Yeah, basically, that's right. Yeah. I gave worst to uh, Mob or Mab or whatever that, however that's pronounced. It's been a long time since we watched these. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, second place last week was Enterprise. Wow. And uh, this week we watched Ceasefire. <laughs> I love that. Yeah! I couldn't find the actual commercial audio good enough to use, so that's Steel Panther. Oh, okay, good. I, I, I did not believe that that sounded I found exactly it very faithful. Right. It was, uh... He goes, yeah! <laughs> um... I was going to say, also, Which, I don't remember that um, Dynasty Warriors guitar in the beginning. No, well, look, I picked and chose the part that I wanted. Yeah. Uh, okay. Archer is called to the planet of Waitar. That's what the Andorians call it, anyway. Mm. To settle a border dispute between the Andorians and the Vulcans. I think you mean Pon Mokar. Pon Mokar, perhaps the Vulcans call it. Yeah. Um... A planet that the Vulcans annexed from the Andorians a century prior. When they arrive, they discover that Shran, who apparently is a commander in the Imperial Guard, called for him personally. And Ambassador Soval is not happy about this whole scenario. He doesn't think Archer's going to be helpful. I'm glad you remember that guy's name. I never remember that Vulcan's name. Even when they say it in the episode, I don't remember it. Yeah, I had to write it down, for sure. (laughs) Good. Um... 
But the uh, Andorians have hostages, so he's basically over a barrel on this thing. He's going to have to let Archer mediate for their return. Right. So uh, he Archer has a little chat with Phlox while he's getting irradiated. And it, it becomes clear that Archer feels a lot of pressure on this to succeed, because this is going to demonstrate that humanity is ready to be a player in galactic politics. Which, as we know, is what the entire show was about. Exactly. He attempts to answer the question of the show. Yeah. So, um, On the way down, uh, T-Pole is worried that Archer is unprepared and that he has no plan. And it's true, his plan is to wing it. <laughs> and when they get there, uh, the two of them are hooded and taken to Shran's command post. Where he makes a list of demands that seem impossible, but I guess his real desire is just to meet with Soval on his terms. Right. So, uh, Archer convinces him to turn over a hostage as a gesture of good faith, and uh, although Soval is still not impressed, he agrees to go down there. Uh, meanwhile, they've discovered that three Andorian ships are on the way in, and there's already a couple of Vulcan ships there, and the general expectation is that there's going to be a shooting war when these Andorians show up. Right. We see Shran have an argument with his lieutenant, Tara. Played maybe by an, an a person recurring, that we know, yeah. Someone we might we might know, although we we've only seen her in one role so far. But we are very soon going to see her in another. We've got another good role coming up for her here. And uh Archer's shuttle is fired on as it returns to the surface and forced down. Uh, Soval wants to head for the Vulcan lines, but Archer wants to continue and have his meeting with Shran. And in space, Soval's aide, whose name I did not write down, is planning a rescue mission, and Trip is worried that uh, that's going to endanger the crew on the ground because he's seen what Vulcan commando raids look like. Mm-hmm. They've been and through it this. is dumb. <laughs> that's right. That's basically what he says. So... Uh, Archer breaks away from Soval and Tipol for a minute so that he so that the ambassador can chastise her about her career choices. Mm-hmm. And uh well that's all happening, Soval catches a phaser blast from uh Well, it turns out it's Tara. Yeah. She's taking shots at him. Archer loops around and punches out uh the other Andorian, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He has a dumb fight with with uh, Tara, but eventually He's in the upper hand. He's got a phaser on her when uh, Shran shows up. Uh, by the way, up in space, the Andorians have arrived, and Trip has parked Enterprise in between them. And yeah, he announces he's that he's so going to fire great. on any ship that makes an aggressive move. He's going to give Archer time to settle things down there. So, um, Tara briefly tries to pin the incident on Archer, but it, it pretty much becomes clear that she wants a war. Shran wants to negotiate, and uh, he's in command there, and that's what's going to happen. They're going to negotiate, and Soval even throws a nod at Archer as he leaves. What's this one about? Yeah, um, I have here, I made a typo. I said even among biter enemies, but I meant bitter ones. But biter no, enemies I like biter enemies. <laughs> even among biter enemies. That works for me. There are some on uh, either side who'd rather see peace. Um, sort of a truism but optimistic in the Roddenberry tradition. Um, I gave it a five. Basically, even though Soval and his lieutenant are all shitty about everything, I think they're both really trying to make sure that they get out of there um, 
with with peace secured and uh even though uh Kalar Dr. Salar whatever her name is did you say Tara Tara yeah so even though Tara is being real shitty about it uh Shran still wants to make peace so um easy enough to identify not really a lot going on but at least very Star Trek for the take yeah the reason that I didn't feel that that was the take is because I have no idea what Shran's plan was like, I mean, initially. Yeah, why he's there in the first place, if this was all orchestrated, or if he's just trying to make the best of a bad situation. Yeah, he. Pro- I got the feeling he was sent there because um, of Andorian decision-making above his head. But he would like to find a way to get out of this in reasonable, reasonable shape without a giant intergalactic space war. Yeah, so I just decided that um, the take of this episode is that humans are ready to start taking a broader role in the galaxy. So I guess that's something, because it's the main question of the series. Does it mean we don't have to have any more of the show? Is that it? No, I think... Okay. I mean, I wish, but I I know that there's many more weeks of it. I just think um, it doesn't matter to anyone not in that situation. Right. So, like... Yeah, I guess humans are ready to take a broader role in the galaxy. So what... I give it a four. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Now I can't really apply that to my everyday life. Like it not, is difficult to. It's not going to come up in my uh, Monday meeting with my boss or anything. He's not going to ask me that. So, um, uh, I should check in with Ben here. Um, ben believed that this take was. <laughs> By the way, I like this. Yeah, I took very few notes a couple weeks back, and so I have shit all to say now. Oops, <laughs> which is exactly the way I usually feel about this. Uh, he says something about how to resolve conflict Uh, you have to see the other person's side he gave it a three right he's a four on execution he says it's fine there's too much shooting it doesn't really seem like these Andorians are crack troops and it doesn't seem like the Federation had any real military training so yeah they definitely fell into the Enterprise pattern of it being kind of a shooty episode I'm I'm as much as a five on execution of this one okay so I wish I knew why Shran was on that planet to begin with. Yeah. What was his goal? Why doesn't he seem to have brought enough people to actually occupy the world? Was he just trying to take some hostages to open negotiations? But if that's the case, why didn't Tara understand the mission? If that isn't the case, how was it supposed to work? Right. Yeah, some details would have been helpful. The dumb fight with Tara is unnecessary. I don't need to see Shran choose Archer over her. We already know he's committed to negotiating. Right. If this had been done perfectly, there would have been something about how being human made Archer able to negotiate between the two. Well, because if, if, if the take. question is about yeah. whether humans are ready to take a broader role, that should be something ab- about his human nature right. that makes it possible for that, rather than just he has a personal relationship with Shran. Yeah. I think that would have been a better answer to the perpetual question. Now, that was all negatives, I understand, right. but um, for a shooting episode of Enterprise, this one wasn't actually that bad and dumb. Uh, the trip in space handles himself pretty well. Right. Uh, the Vulcan is is the typical bad, like, Saval is the typical bad Vulcan who doesn't like Archer and doesn't think humans are anything in this and one. Not only that, but he's not like he's Archer. not evil and it doesn't stand in the way of things. Right. Doesn't like Archer, doesn't like Teepole. 
Doesn't like anyone yeah. we are supposed to theoretically care about. Right. Yeah, so, but it's like, everyone seems like a real person in this one, which is not the case in Enterprise most of the time. I agree. So I was a five on this one. Where, I, where did you come down? I was a little bit higher than you on the take, and I'm a little bit higher on the execution. I actually had it as much as a six. All right. Uh, the groundwork was laid in previous episodes for the conflicts between the Andorians and the Vulcans, and this episode gave us some more backstory for that, which is good. Um... Archer and crew finally bring people together, which is good, because normally yeah. they're just fucking shit up all over the place. Um, and even the Vulcans and Andorians seem somewhat less shitty by the end of the episode, which is also nice. But man, these commando sequences were long and dull. Yep. I mean, again, half the damn episode was an action shootout. And of course, yeah. this lady Andorian has to have a real boobsy outfit. <laughs> it's true. Definitely what you'd wear into battle, fucking Enterprise. <laughs> we gotta see her blue cleavage. It's just like, it's but it, okay, in the 60s you go, oh yeah, the 60s. But this is like the 2000s. Yep. Why can't they do better? It's like they went, oh, you know what people really loved about Star Trek? The most iconic thing is like Orion Slave Girls and, and Kirk fucking Robots or whatever. Even <laughs> the people who made this show didn't think TOS stood for anything. Because they're like, let's bring back all the things people loved about TOS, like the boobs. Yep, it is kind of true. It's not treated with respect. Anyway, I thought they did a fine job considering. Um, for world building, uh, Pon Makar, or Waiton is the name of this dang old planet, claimed in 2097 by Vulcan after the Andorians initially settled there. But the Andorian settlers uh, were put in camps, it sounds like. Uh, originally uninhabitable. Yeah, they didn't make it clear, for sure. Uh, originally uninhabitable, the Andorians terraformed it until it had a breathable atmosphere. Shuttlepod 2 is the one they use. I don't know how many they have on that little ship. There are, two, but there are two bays for them, I know that. Um, I appreciate getting more backstory on uh, Vulcan-Andorian relations, as I said above. Um, as they're key members of the Federation, and this definitely gives us a richer core Star Trek universe... Unfortunately, we stop learning new stuff pretty early on as the show becomes a shootout. Um, like you said, Shran is a commander of the Imperial Guard. I don't know if they had necessarily spelled out his rank and position and all that before this. Um, I thought it added enough that it was a four. Yeah, I also have it as a four for world building. Um and it is sort of the same. The reason this is better than the standard three is the Vulcan and Dorian relations. Um, let's see if there's anything that I called out that you didn't. Uh, ships breaking orbit to prepare for combat, I thought was interesting. Tells us something about how fighting works in space. Okay. It's not something that we see the Enterprise D do very often. Like they'll yeah. they'll fight right there in, in orbit of the planet, but it is something that would limit you. Yep. D-class planets, terraforming, Andorian Imperial Guard. Yeah. The main thing here is the, uh, the relationship building, the fact that it continues from previous episodes. Yeah. The fact that Archer's carving out a space for humans in this discussion in some ways. So I had it at a four for world building. I'm a four also for characterization. Okay. Soval just seethes his way through this episode. He's officially the pissiest Vulcan. 
Yeah, and he's around all the time. How come they never deal with anyone else? I, he is the amb- is he the ambassador to Earth or is he Vulcan's floating ambassador to everybody? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He's just involved in every situation. <laughs> um, even in an episode where Archer makes all the right calls, yeah, he's impossible to like because he's so petulant. Yes. Like. Yeah, he's just right. He's everything he does is right in this one, but I don't like him. Yeah, he, he takes every opportunity he's given to tell Vulcans he doesn't trust them. Like he does yeah. it in this episode, and it's like we get it, bro. This is him being diplomatic. I thought uh to Paul and Trip were fine in this one. Okay. Better than average to Paul. The first time Trip has ever seemed competent in command. Yeah. Uh yeah, I'm at a four. Okay. Um, sort of continuing, I was one point better. I gave it a five. And I agreed with pretty much everything you were saying there. Uh, Shran remembers how fairly Archer dealt with him in the past. Um, and so he trusts him. Archer, like I said, takes every opportunity to tell Vulcans he doesn't trust them. Also, his plan for these negotiations is to play it by ear. Also, Shran's a little bit shrewd here, because getting Archer involved involves a third party. Yeah. And also makes this a little more public. And they definitely feel aggrieved by everything the Vulcans have done to them just forever. Yep. So they do want some more attention uh, on this. Um, like I was saying, Archer's plan for the negotiations is to play it by ear. That's how I play my client meetings, but only because I hate my career and my clients too. <laughs> and so that's I, I didn't understand why that was his approach. Well, that's some insight into Archer, but we don't need any explanation we know he's unprofessional. That's right. Yeah. Uh, this Vulcan dude, again, I don't ever write down his name, would uh, qualify for characterization, but I can't remember his name, and his only characteristic so far seems to be shitty. So, um, T-Pole is there to translate Earth idioms for the Vulcans, because, um, well, Archer's not going to bother to. No, he'll just say them. He says an idiom, and then he just looks at them like, You get it, idiot? Uh, she makes jokes a lot now. She's sort of likable in this episode. I agreed with you. This was uh, above average T-pole. Tucker gets to play Peacemaker up above and bravely flies Enterprise between the combatants to get them to cease fire. But he also plays Archer and threatens to shoot everybody up there, too. Yeah, that's true. But that's his role model. That's so. right. He's the only commander he's ever seen is this fucker. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I had it as a five. I thought it was fine. Do you have some uh, quick hitters? Yeah. Uh, at least they aren't pretending anymore. This episode just starts with phasers firing. It's true. First fucking shot. So it's not. Oh, it's not uh, Archer talking to his dog. <laughs> yeah, this time it's not Archer and his dog. I guess the most common intro to Enterprise. Uh, like you already said. Oh, look, there's Kalar slash Salar. Um, the his name is Archer. Throw to teaser. Definitely sounds like it came straight out of a Magnum PI script. <laughs> his name oh, is these Magnum. These fuckers wish they had some Magnum PI credits. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, Archer is the closest thing they have to an ambassador out there. Somebody says, "Oh no!" Yeah, that's very bad. That's you need to correct that. You should get a real ambassador. By the way, it is kind of weird that they didn't put a civilian. Yes diplomat on this ship right they only got like three ships this one's flying around and making first contact all over it the place would have given archer someone to have conflict with yeah other Ooh. than to paul if they'd had like kind of like a by like like a double command structure that could have caused all kinds of problems 
Yeah, like the you know the political officer in Red October before Sean Connery breaks his neck. Or like the political officer in Babylon Five that tries to have sex with Sheridan. That actually doesn't apply, uh, yeah. but Babylon Five is yeah, amazing. It's, it's different, but Babylon Five is good. Um, better than this show. Archer's acting in this is just bad. If you want, if you just want somebody to deliver your list of demands, find somebody else. I've got better things to do. It was just like, it was the worst reading of a shitty line that I've ever heard. Uh, Just realized this Vulcan lieutenant, Surak, is the guy at the accounting firm that keeps trying to hire Ben Wyatt in Parks and Rec. No, is it? It absolutely is. Oh, man! I didn't even need to look him up. I knew he looked familiar, but I didn't know what it was. Didn't even need to look him up. After I saw him for like the third time in the episode, it just clicked. I went, oh, it's that guy. Oh, I like him so much better in Parks and Rec. He's much better as the poor Hapless. That universe is full of wonderful minor characters. Yeah. Between him and Perd Hapley. Yep. Everybody who ever attends a town council meeting. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Councilman Jam. Obviously. It's a good one. Um... (laughs) This, uh, I found a sandwich in Ramsett Park with no mayonnaise on it, and I want to know why. <laughs> uh, and this Andorian reinforcement captain up in orbit uh, also plays a Vorta in DS9, so I guess that's where they were hiring their Andorians. He is a Vorta in DS9. Uh, that's all I had for the quickies. I only have one. I, I feel like a smarter show wouldn't have made it so obvious that Tara was the bad guy. Yeah, like we didn't maybe didn't need the scene where they're arguing about it. We could have. I think there were hints already that she was a little more militaristic than he was in this scenario. But since so little of what he's trying to do there is explained, like, it's fine, I guess. Yeah. Um. I did not even bother to assign a best or worst actor <laughs> for this one, and I don't remember it well enough to do one retroactively. Sorry, you can assign best actor to the guy who plays the accountant in Parks and Rec, because you like him in that, and then you can assign worst actor like to Archer, because sure. Alright, let's do that, then. <laughs> Surak and, uh... And Archer. Um, and Archer. Uh, just a, a little bit of a, a bookkeeping on our own show here was that a leaf blower or a uh, lawnmower uh leaf blower okay leaf blower for sure god that takes them a long time they do they take their time yeah it takes uh i think longer than it would take to actually rake but you're just walking around so uh, that was a motorcycle <laughs> That's... got un- unexpectedly loud it's very like it's evening time it's very rare that anyone is landscaping at this time of day but uh, i was, guess they knew i was recording it, a podcast it was excellent timing and given that they won't hear it but we've already had some other recording issues this has been uh an interesting an interesting recording session it really has it's going very well yeah. very well but we did do one more of these fuckers yeah, that's right. Uh, winner last week was Deep Space Nine with the Maquis Part 1. This week we watched the Maquis Part 2. Uh, so where we were left at Part 1 was they um, they went looking for Dukat, who got kidnapped, and they went down to the the dang old planet and they were ambushed by the maquis led by <gasps> calvin hudson and then it went to uh went to went to break or whatever so it starts yep. off uh, cisco demands to see ducat uh, hudson accuses cisco of siding with the cardassians over him they just walk away and have a side conversation 
while everyone else which holds. is in a by the way in a circle because they end up back where they started yeah they walk in a big circle while uh, maki are pointing guns at cisco's uh, little away team and they just have like a real chill conversation you know because they're old buddies um hudson claims the maki want only peace uh and while cisco characterizes their desire to retaliate simply as revenge um uh, anyway cisco declines an offer to join hudson because obviously and uh the Maquis stun everybody and then run away. Yep. Admiral Necheyev. We were, we have been wondering where the fuck she is at. Yeah, last week we asked where she was. Yeah, this has been answered. She was, guess, was out of town, but now she's back. Um, she's waiting for Cisco when he returns to Deep Space Nine. She refers to the Maquis as a bunch of irrespons- irresponsible hotheads, which to her is a grave insult. She takes that shit seriously. And uh, instructs Cisco to reason with them. Seemingly oblivious to the true nature of the situation. Legate Parn of the Cardassian Central Command arrives, and as Sisko prepares to meet him, Oda reports he's caught one of the Vulcan's accomplices. Sisko arrives to find Quark in a holding cell. Quark eventually reveals that he arranged for Sakona to acquire weapons, unaware of the Maki's existence at the time, and believes Sakona is planning an attack within the next few days. Yeah, he was just doing... Frank general, stuff. general weapon stealing, weapon stealing. Yes, He's a general arms. Dealer. Yes, he sold arms to a terrorist, but he didn't know they were terrorists. He thought they were someone who legitimately yeah. needed to buy arms from Quark. He thought they were other people who needed secret weapons for the very good reasons that people need secret weapons. Uh, Parn then uh, has his conversation with Cisco and. Um, does a whole thing where he's like, oh, it turns out the Dukat, the one who's missing, yeah, he's been the one doing it. He was giving all the arms to the Cardassian settlers. And we didn't know about it, but you're gonna, we're going to make sure it never happens again. But it's that Dukat guy. So Anyway, uh, we don't care if he lives or dies. Yeah, don't even bother looking for him. If we, if we do find him, we'll just execute him anyway. So don't worry about it. Uh, Cisco and Kira obviously know that that is bullshit and that Dukat has been set up as a scapegoat. Or, as that book called him, Duckett. <laughs> um, the character Duckett, played by Mark Alemo. Uh, at a Maquis base, Sakona attempts to establish a Vulcan mind meld with Dukat. Um, it says this Wikipedia thing says a Maquis base. It looks like a cave, right? Yeah, it's a cave. It's a hole. Always a fucking cave. Every time. Uh, which he easily resists. Apparently Dukat is able to withstand mind melds. I'm not clear if that is... It's not clear if it's a Cardassian thing or if he's just badass. Because he just laughs at her. It could be that the Cardassian mind is more alien than the Horta. (laughs) That's one possibility that we should consider. Oh, boy. But also maybe... He says it's because Cardassian has Cardassians have mental discipline mm. so it does seem like he's pitching it as i'm pretty badass i'm here. pretty badass i learned how to do this thing i don't know if you've heard of me i'm kind of a big deal uh cisco bashir and odo arrive and interrupt the interrogation they try to resolve the situation peacefully but ducat grows impatient and triggers a firefight the maquis are captured but cisco lets one of their leaders go to deliver a message to cal imploring him to settle things peacefully they bring Ducat back to Deep Space Nine, where they inform him of Parn's accusations. That's not actually how it happened. Ducat spends a lot of time defending the Cardassian justice system, talking about how uh, it's totally the right way to do it, and um, you, uh, you go on trial, and you're guilty, and then you, you fucking die, and that's how it works. And then Cisco goes, oh, hey, um, 
they think By the he, way. they're going to put you on trial. <laughs> and then Dukat just has to eat shit. <laughs> uh, with Dukat's help, they do catch a Zeppelite trader transporting weapons on behalf of Central Command. He does uh, some badass uh, Dukat shit where he orders him to stand down and the guy gets real confused. But I don't understand! But we've already been paid! The Cardassians already paid us to transport these weapons! You're not recording this, are you? But we're all... We were already paid to transport these secret illegal weapons into the demilitarized zone. <laughs> this guy's not very good at playing it cool. Uh, Quark talks Sakona into revealing to Cisco that the Maquis are planning to blow up a Cardassian weapons depot in the next 52 hours. Is that because they're using the stupid 26-hour day? I think it's because Deep Space Nine's on a 26-hour clock. How, yeah. how come they're able to have continuity for things like that and they just miss super obvious shit all the time? Uh, that's, that's a good question. <sighs> um... Uh, she doesn't know where the, the dang thing is. Ducat promises to find out the depot's location, and in the meantime, Cisco visits Hudson one final time, imploring him to reconsider abandoning his career and joining the Maquis. Uh, I think it's a little late at this point, though, right? Like, he's yeah. already a Maquis. It's not like he can take it back. It's not like he But just he puts has on to his symbolically disintegrate his uniform. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Um. DS9 crew is waiting in runabouts when the Maquis arrive at the depot, uh, and as neither Hudson nor Sisko wants to hurt the other, they attempt to disable each other. Finally, only Sisko's runabout and Hudson's Raider remain, with Sisko's engines and Hudson's weapons inoperable. Although, I wasn't clear whether that was true. I thought Cal might have been pretending, so he didn't have to shoot uh, Sisko. I think that's, it seems like it's roughly true. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Uh, Neither of them wants to blow the other one up. Yes, they, and in fact, over Dukat's objections, Sisko allows Hudson to escape. Ultimately, Sisko wonders if he's prevented a war or merely delayed the inevitable. Dramatically. Um, what was yeah. this thing about? I uh, figured this one is uh, even legitimate grievances do not justify violence. Okay. So just so, a straight anti-Maki. Yeah, basically, like, uh, Sisko seems to believe... Everything that Hudson says about the raw deal right. that the people there are getting. And he still thinks violence isn't the answer. Yeah. I think it's fine. That's a five for me. Uh, I had the enemy of my enemy as my friend. I uh, think this is about Cisco and Ducop. Yeah, you got the whole border situation between the Federation and Cardassia. That's confusing. It's got lots of sides and divided loyalties. And I thought that's what this episode was exploring. Federation, Cardassian, Maquis, Bajoran, Cal, Sisko, Kira, Parn, Dukat, Quark, Sakona, And the crisis is resolved by way of some unlikely alliances. Um, which is kind of a cynical Star Trek take, but it's at least interesting to discuss. So I gave it a six. Hmm. Interesting. Just to jump into execution, Sisko and company align with Dukat to beat Cal, his old buddy, the Maquis, who are Federation citizens, the Cardassian Central Command uh, is against Dukat. Quark was bad last week, good this week, aligned with Sakona last week, against her this week. It does a good job of showing how complicated things are out there, and sometimes you get into one of those, um, I just gotta align with whoever to solve this thing. Otherwise, the mystery elements and pacing are really average. The battle scene is refreshingly short. Yeah. It's not like Enterprise where, or TOS where it took up half the episode. And um, the character work takes the focus even during the battle. Um, so that's good stuff. The Maquis and Cal are still out there if they choose to take another shot at this somewhere down the road by letting him go. I give it a 7. 
Oh, wow. I'm less excited about how this episode worked out. Okay. There's an odd difference between the Maquis in Part 1, who try to hide their destruction of a freighter, and the Maquis in Part 2, who have declared all-out war. Yeah, it's been like a week. Especially given that their little firefight exposed the Cardassian involvement. Quark is right. There should actually have been a de-escalation in between week one and week two. And he does convince her. But for some reason, it went the other way. Yeah. So I think that's a script problem. Yes. I would have liked a little more from Cisco on. So one thing you didn't mention is that Cisco hides Cal's involvement from the JF. Yeah. She's like, you should talk to him about it. Uh, what's he say these days? Like she doesn't even try to talk to him herself, so she doesn't know he's gone rogue anyway. Right. And Cisco goes, I'll have to ask him about it. <laughs> I would have liked Super a little suspicious. more from Cisco on why he's protecting his friend, what other reasons he thinks Cal might have for going over. Yeah. Uh, I would have liked resolution on the conflict with Kira at the end of the last episode. Yeah. And actually, like, now that you mention it, I wish they had given us a lot more about him and Cal and why they were friends. Yep. Because it makes a lot... This episode and the way it plays out only made sense if they were, like, the bestest ever pals who had some deep shit. Well, they both knew Curzon. And that's all they give us, is that they both know Curzon. (laughs) So, that's not so great. They both have a dead wife. Yep. Right? I don't know. Does Cal say he has a dead wife? I don't even remember. I Cal had a dead wife. Maybe he has a dead kid. I don't recall. Cal's got some kind of problem. Right. Something drove him out there to the border. Same as Cisco. Um, yeah, I think those things could have been handled better. I, I gave it a four for execution. Yeah, I want to drop mine to a six, because I wish they'd given me a lot more about their, um, their relationship. Because I have some things that come up in characterization. That like, are... I can imagine why Cisco is protecting Cal, but I'd rather have him say it than have to guess. Well, I'd rather have something. Again, he doesn't have to Because it's, us... di- it's a divided loyalty he between doesn't... Starfleet and... Yeah. And he doesn't address it. He doesn't have to tell us why he's protecting Cal if we know why he likes Cal. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> That's what I want. Or why he thinks that Cal might come back. Yeah. Right? Like, what he thinks this is about for Cal, why he thinks Cal can be redeemed to Starfleet or convinced back. Yeah. Um, ben is a, a four. His take is, who are your friends when the chips are down? Okay. And he's a five in execution. He says, this is what Enterprise aspires to be. Uh, he likes that the rescue wasn't just like all the ones we've already seen. Yeah. He likes Dukat as a temporary member of the DS9 team. Me too. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, it's hard to argue with Dukat. Um, oddly, um, the scene that you called out, specifically where he talks the freighter captain down mm. i thought was not as well acted as many of marco lemo's scenes mm. i didn't feel like he actually had command presence there ouch yeah. by the way i like that um ben gave it a five on execution and said what it's what enterprise aspires to be enterprise it's can only aspire to be a five <laughs> in execution yeah. yeah that's true uh world building yeah uh i'm a three here I don't really think we picked up much more about the Maquis than than what we had before. So what we've got here is Cardassian show trials, mm-hmm. Dukat's reputation after with the withdrawal from Bajor. That was interesting. Yep. 
he didn't get out of that clean, right? Yeah, and that's what we had some questions about that last week. Why is Even he though, doing this? Why is he expendable? What What is his situation back home? Right. Presumably, the decision to pull out was not made by him, but it still tarnished his reputation in some way. Yeah. Uh, sensor probes and Oort clouds. Uh, he's the leader of the Second Order, Guldukat is. Yep. So, I don't know. It's interesting to think about how the Cardassian military is arranged. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's basically we're at the standard three. I don't think, I really don't think we added anything to the actual Maquis conflict or the people in the Maquis, really. Okay. Um, let's see, what do I got? Uh, Legate Parn, maybe the first Legate we meet? Oh, it could be the first Legate. I'm not sure, I don't remember. Um... Here's Admiral Nechev. We were asking where she was. Uh, Earth is thought of as a paradise without uh, any kind of crime or any any poverty or anything like that. Yeah, Cisco's the problem is Earth's speech was interesting. Yeah. Is there any possible way Quark doesn't go to prison forever? He's... Uh, Quark should already be in prison. He's straight... Do you remember when he arranged to have the station taken over by those mercenaries <laughs> who almost killed Dax? Yes! But he he straight admits to selling weapons to a terrorist faction. I mean, what yeah. are you going to do? Yeah, this should be right to a dungeon. Ugh, it's uh, wild. Next he week should be breaking just... rocks with Tom Paris in New Zealand. Next week he'll just be complaining about how he doesn't make enough money at the bar. You know, and you'll just be like, what yep. the fuck? I made mistakes. This isn't really a good living for me. <laughs> it's like, well, you commit a lot of very serious crimes and you get away with it, so. You're a bad criminal. Yeah. You're worse than Plix Tixaplik. You really are. Why isn't your fucking poster all over the place? Uh, the Cardassians using Dukat as a scapegoat definitely answers some of our questions from last week about his status in the Central Command. Uh, Hackdon 7 must be a colony on the Cardassian side of the border since some humans were killed there. Um, Dukat is immune to mine melts. Um, not I guess that is something. Not explained how, just that uh, they have discipline. Uh, everything about the Cardassian justice system. Zeppelites often serve as intermediaries for the Cardis, but they weren't ever found out previously, unlike the Lesepians. And their ships are fast as hell, warp 9.8. That is quite fast, especially considering that's a freighter. Yeah. Uh, Cisco can't get reinforcements for this engagement for some reason. Doesn't even try. So he just flies out there with three runabouts. Like, Necheyev's ship's got to be around. That's what I was thinking. Where is they the gotta, crazy horse There's got to be whatever. an Excelsior or something around that can come in. These small ships can carry heavy weapons, but they don't take a punch well. Basically, every ship gets hit once and it's out of the fight. Yeah. Um, That's not unreasonable. I actually found there was a lot actually. there. I, I originally had it as a five, but I really didn't like that Quark is definitely going to get away with this again. So I have it as a four. Yeah, I mean, there's a moment where uh, Quark asks how long he's going to be in jail, and Cisco says forever. But we know, but Cisco's we all know joking. that's not true. Yeah, yeah, he's just like messing with him, which is he should mess with him by putting him in prison. Ben's a three. Uh, he says that there's a, it's implied that runabouts have more than one fusion core. Yes, because there's a primary fusion core. I had yeah. that in my notes, and I didn't know what it belonged to. Now I know. Yeah. <laughs> All I have was primary fusion core. Uh, Ben's an eight on characterization. That's the highest score he gave anything. Wow. Uh, he likes the trouble is Earth speech. I think he just likes that Cisco's fired up. Uh, he, Odo asks for Cisco's presence and immediately says why. <laughs> Instead of just saying, I think you should come down here. 
<laughs> yeah, that is actually that's a good one. Um, um, let's see. He thinks Ducat pro- provoked the phaser battle intentionally. Of course, he did. Uh, I mean, Ducat's great. He says, um, I agree. Matt, where are you? Uh, believe it or not, I am very close. I gave it a seven. Really? Okay. So, uh, first I have some stuff about him and Cal. What is Cisco going for in this first scene where they're walking in a circle? It's too late for Cal, right? Like, he's past the point of no return. You can't just come back. Like, Starfleet won't just be like, oh, and that's cool when you were Maquis for a couple of days. That's all right. Like, he's done. So he's not coming back. He's already working with these fucks. What's Cal asking out of Cisco? To use DS9 as a repair station? Right. They are both bullshitting here. They're making impossible requests of one another because they don't want to let the friendship go. They both know the other one cannot possibly agree, but they are both making these in, these insane impossible requests to the other one. And then Cisco straight lies to the Admiral about Cal, which is wild. Because it's going to be very easy for her to figure out that he has gone rogue. And in the end, he can't bring himself to kill Cal and vice versa. So there's, they're doing a lot of work with Cisco and Cal, which is why earlier I was saying, boy, wouldn't it be good to if we know understood that? why this is so important to him and why it's so important to Cal, who I think, like we were talking about, lets Cisco go? I think his weapons yeah. work. And he just goes, another, mm-hmm. another possibility is you could leave it mysterious, but have someone ask the question. Yes, that would be good, too, if they were but like, what does they this take mean the, to you? you know? The worst path here, which is they they don't explain it, but, every, but Kira and O'Brien and Gul Dukat and everybody just treats it as if they understand why Cisco and Cal yeah. are close and don't betray each other or whatever, right? Like, yeah. That's the least satisfying version of that, I think. So I had knocked off a point on execution for that, because I, I like that they're trying to do something there. I just wish... I wish they wrote something in that was like, this is why they're buds. Um, Kira is very patient and listens to Cisco rant about Earth. Um, yeah. She's just like... Her, her planet doesn't have drinking water, but... <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, the problem's Earth. <laughs> Um, she doesn't believe a rescue operation for Dukat is worth it. Um, for obvious reasons, he was in charge of Terraknor. Dukat is so dismissive of these Maki interrogators. I swear we are somehow supposed to like him, despite everything we already know about his past. Like, the yeah. writers are writing us to like Dukat, even though we know that he did some nasty shit to the Bajorans. Oh, he's the lovable bad guy. And I mean... I like him. And I'm familiar with all of his crimes. Um, <laughs> Dukat happily defends the Cardassian justice system before he realizes uh, it will his will be the next show, show trial that goes down. And he big dogs that freighter captain on Sisko's behalf. Um, I just thought it was a lot of strong work being done. Even if some of the writing needed to be tweaked a little bit. I'm a... Uh... I'm a five. Okay. Cisco is in a weird space here. He clearly believes what Cal is saying, or else he wouldn't have had that. The problem is Earth speech. Right. But he still is towing the Starfleet line, and I don't think they do a good job of exploring that. I think we'll see that they do it better with... Do they do it better with Picard? I guess we'll find out. Yeah. 
Um, and Ducat's backstory was interesting. I'm glad they added that. I thought the scene where he bullied the freighter captain fell a little flat. No one else is in this one. Yeah. That's what Except my note, in an I had one ineffective note about way in the, in the runabout fight. Yeah. And this is a show about Cardassians. You've got to bring Kira in. Yeah. She has opinions. She only gave, they only gave her one line last week to talk about it. That's what we've been saying every week. For some reason, they're like, they're not using her. I don't know. Every why. meeting, every discussion that Cisco has with Ducat, Kira should be in also providing the alternate side. Yeah. Put Cisco in the middle. But Cisco instead he takes Ducat along on a ride, and he's like, "No one else can come along. It's me and my buddy Ducat." Um, but in general, we have a fired up, motivated Cisco, which I always like, and Ducat's in this one. I just this is an episode that's not it's not bad. Because of what it does, but it had a lot of potential that it didn't hit. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, Sum of five. Uh, I've gone ahead and done the math. You can go ahead and take a sneak peek at that. But uh, I have some quick hitters. Okay. In this scene where they're walking around in the beginning, was Cal's uniforms just sitting folded on the ground? Appear- in that jungle? Well, it's, I have written out of my quick hitters, too. I guess he just takes it around with him in the jungle and... But it's like, he didn't seem to take it out of a bag or anything. I don't know. He just bent down and picked it up. And it's like, was that just on the ground? <laughs> it's where he keeps it. Well, it was on the tape X that the PA put down, so. It was next that, to the script. That's where it was? Yep. I, uh, I like this chubby, bloviating Cardassian. Liggett Parn is, uh, Parn. the real deal. You may know him as Drawl. I do know him as Drawl. That or is also, also the Klingon notes. ambassador from the movies. Yes, indeed. Uh, see the one who demands the extradition of Kirk? We and demand justice? justice! Yes. The movie Klingons were great in their own way, they for really sure. They were. Uh, everyone, but again, like you said, except for the one in the motion picture. Yes. He's like a punker Klingon. He's just like a weird monster with his monster dog in space <laughs> shooting satellites for fun. Yeah. Um, Cisco goes for his phaser when Cal shoots his uniform, but like, he was way too slow. If Cal'd been shooting him, he would have been shot. Yeah. Yes. They can't even spare one starship for this thing, huh? That's what I'm... We're going to do it runabout style? I think it's because he just wants to save Cal. His main priority is not the safety of his crew, stopping the Maquis or anything else. It's just saving Cal. Yeah. And how were those two Maquis ships going to mount 200 photon torpedoes? Uh, They were going to tape them together and carry them on the outside of the ship. I guess. (laughs) I don't know. A photon torpedo is big enough to be a man coffin. Yes, we found out, yeah. We know that about it. Um, but the cockpit of that Maquis ship, is a, it's a two-man ship. Yeah, it don't hold 200 for sure. How, like, you could put a couple on the outside on hard points. Does it even have an internal weapons bay? I don't know, maybe they were... A photon to... torpedo doesn't launch itself. Maybe maybe they know well, maybe they were really optimistic and they thought they'd be able to mount a lot of missions with those two ships. Yeah, they'd be running we're gonna run a lot of sorties. Two torpedoes at a time. That's right. <laughs> um yeah, that's about it. What do you have for quick hitters? I don't I don't think I have anything you didn't already talk about. I have Cal okay. in his uniform. Oh, Cal doesn't call it revenge, he calls it retaliation. Yes. Okay. It's another really Harry sure. Kim level sophistry. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure what that means. Uh, yeah, I had uh, Leggett Parn playing uh, Delenn's mentor and uh, what's his name, the Klingon, the Klingon ambassador. Um, 
first time we've seen a nasty old Odo tentacle in a while. That is true. We haven't seen him do anything with that. I think it's the season than, finale and they busted out the special effects budget. Uh, frankly, he hasn't been transforming much no. this year. And they did they had the little uh the little space fight and they had the tentacles, so they, they saved their budget up for this last episode. I think they've come down on the side of this effect is more expensive than it is interesting. Well they are correct. That's hundred percent true. Um that's all I had for the, the quick ones. Alright. Did we talk about how Ben finished that episode out? We did, right? Uh, we, oh, yeah, 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 he yeah. gave, he gave it big characterization points for sure. Okay. So, Bro, the we, numbers we are... We did it! In fifth place this week with 23 points, mm. TOS with Friday's Child. We agreed that it was not good. This is, this is not good, TOS. No. Um, that, uh, uh, in fourth place is, uh, Voyager with Resolutions. We agreed and, entirely uh, on that one. We were across the board, scores the same. And uh, 28 points, which is mediocre. That's a little over three points below the average. But right about Voyager's average. It is. It, that is the thing. This is Voyager's average. So Their average is not good. So what would you, what's your average? What's Voyager's average episode? Uh, Janeway and Chakotay are stranded on a planet <laughs> and fall in love. It is. I mean, that's really, if you think about Voyager, like, yeah, I'm, that's what I'd call Voyager, that episode. Uh, third place this week, dead in the middle with uh, thirty-four points is Pen Pals yep. from TNG. Most of that was on the premise. Got got a good premise score. Yep, and uh, thirty-four points is just a little bit above average. But right, about. but it is exactly the next. I mean, the next generation's average is actually almost a point higher. Yeah. So, again, what's the average TNG episode? <laughs> it's the Pen Pals. Data makes contact with an alien and violates the Prime Directive. Yep, and pulls everyone in. Uh, second place this week. Second second place uh, appearance in a row. Yeah. Enterprise with Ceasefire. I gave this 20 dang points. You gave it 20 whole points. Uh, it scored 37 total, so even my 17, pretty good. Yeah. Um, way above their average. Their average is 28. So oh boy, are good they, for are them. they trying to catch Voyager again? <laughs> they are. There's now only a 14 point gap between oh. Enterprise and Voyager again. Damn it! So Voyager's got to pick it up. We have a two parter coming up next week. So okay, uh, we could be making up uh, trying to find songs for Voyager's dumb titles pretty soon. <laughs> well, you know the Maquis one and two scored pretty well, so maybe uh, maybe their two parter will do well. Maybe, Although, um, but in general, you like to see Enterprise doing a little better because. And frankly, it was so their last three weeks are uh, 37, 40, and uh, 31. Yeah. Um, so it's been four weeks since Catwalk, which was their last real stinker. It did suck a lot. I scored 13 total points. Was... And uh, Precious Cargo before that scored 12. So <laughs> they scored more points this week than in those two weeks put together. Right. Actually, in each of the last three weeks, they scored more points than those two weeks put together. So they're on a little bit of an upswing. Right. But the winner this week, uh, with their seventh win. Oh boy. Deep Space Nine, the Maquis Part 2, 40 points is a very solid number. And they're clearly Not... making up their own middle tier now in their, in our rankings. 40 points is no longer good enough to be a top 10% episode. Yeah. But it's, uh, I would say that's a good cutoff for a very solid score. That's exactly half of the points they could get. Yeah. But that seems to be. That's hard for 40 Star and above Trek. is a legitimately good episode. Yeah, and so. I seem to like both halves of this episode better than you did. 
Yeah, I, that's I gave true. it four more points than you in part one and six more points than you in part two. So yeah, swayed yeah. by Ducat. And uh, six points are high this week for a difference. We were otherwise pretty much in lockstep. Again, that Voyager episode, we were just literally exactly yeah. on the same page. Um, and it looked like uh, uh, the big winner this week. Well, actually, premise and characterization both got high marks. Yep. In total this week. It is true. Although I think in general, the characterization scores have been a little better than the premise scores. It's hard to see what the average actually is right. uh, when you across all the series. So it's hard to tell. Uh, it might be that premise really had the best week this week. The loser was world building. Yeah. Um, I mean, it always is. <laughs> with, uh, but with ceasefire and the Maquis, there were some legit world building opportunities here. Yeah. And even ceasefire only scored eight. The Maquis only scored seven. Those were the high scores this week, but neither one of those is particularly good. No, the problem is sometimes with world building, even if they're doing a lot of work, sometimes I don't like the work they're doing. That is the trouble. Because if they do something dumb, they get punished. And they often do. Yeah. Well, we did it though. We knocked one out. We did. The next time we get together to do this, and I don't know what the schedule will be on that. Depends on whether we get a non-Star Trek pod in this week also or just am, push everything back. I am open to it, but we'll talk about it off the, uh, yeah. the air. Um, but the next time we get together to talk Star Trek, it'll be week 41. We're doing The Deadly Years. That's TOS's Everyone Gets Old episode. Mm-hmm. We're doing Q Who. Oh boy, that's a big one. That's a big it's one a big, across the board. It's a big episode. We're doing, um, apparently there's a Deep Space Nine episode called The Wire. Yeah, I don't remember that one, what it is based on the title. They go to Space Baltimore and <laughs> do Space Police. I keep thinking that this was the finale because it was a two-parter, but I, can't, I have to remember. It's not the finale. It is not the, the finale. The one where they meet the Gemadar was the finale. Yeah. Um... But it's possible that the next Voyager is the Voyager finale. Voyager had a shortened first season, so they're a little ahead of the game. And we are watching Basics Part 1. Yep. And um, for Enterprise, we are watching an episode that shares its name with a mission in Star Trek Online, Future Tense. So I expect that we will have some temporal Cold War nonsense here. God damn it. I don't know it. I've never seen this episode, but that's my guess. I don't like those. I don't like those plots. <clears throat> they don't do a good job with them. All right. Well, hey, good job, everybody. Congratulations on making through this one with us. Um, send us some mail for mailbag. That's at BrotherDate on the Twitter machine. Uh, you can find us at BrotherDate.com. You can find us on the iTunes. Um, and we will be back either this week or next week with a mailbag pod. So, uh, peace out. Bye-bye. It's very tempting to us. I love um, that that made so little impression on you that you called it Star Control. What's it called? Star Command. Star Command. Okay. (laughs) Star Control sounds fine. Please subscribe.